0: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning your dial in our direction. We are all in. My name is Seth, the pride of Postwick.
1: And I am Super Street Eric 2 Turbo. This week on the show, we will chat with famed YouTuber and Twitch streamer GameChamp3000 about the insane world of video game challenge runs.
0: And in this week's Indie Showcase, we'll be shining light on The Tourist, a Switch-exclusive adventure by Shin'en Games.
1: And Pokemon has certainly been a hot topic this week, and in our top five, we will reveal our very favorite pocket monsters ever.
0: That's right. And among the rest of this week's exciting news, we'll talk all about an incredible surprise announcement over 21 years in the making. New Pokemon Snap. Pokemon Snap. Seth, Seth, stay with me. Pokemon Snap.
1: Well, Seth fainted again. While I take him to the nearest Pokemon Center, let's go ahead and rock that intro. It's time to go All In. Come oh. You okay, Seth? You gonna be all right, man? Uh,
0: I, yeah, I, I think I'm gonna be okay. I, I'll make it.
1: All right, good. I just, you know, that's the third time today. I know you've had a lot to be excited about this week when it comes to Nintendo. It wasn't just Pokemon Snap.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's been actually a pretty, uh, pretty interesting week for me. So let, <laughs> let's let's get right into it. I, I just want to, you know, let's not bury the lead here. First of all, I just want to just here at the top of the show. I just want to thank everybody for the awesome response to our first episode that the first episode has done extraordinarily well.
1: Yes. Thank you all for your support.
0: Yes, absolutely. I just want to thank everybody at home listening for your support. It was, it was a really cool feeling. We're very excited about this show. And so, yeah, just, just thanks so much for, for that. So that's already been a good week, but then... So just in terms of what's been going on with me in terms of Nintendo, I happen to, I think we talked about this a little bit off recording, <laughs> how rare uh, Ring Fit Adventure found itself, right? Yeah. Just sort of out of nowhere. And I've been kind of trying to track down a copy of this game for the better part of the past two months. I mean, you can't find this thing, or you couldn't find this thing for less than you know two, 200 to $250 on eBay it was absolutely insane. It's
1: crazy the things that just shoot up in value.
0: Yes. And I don't know if it was just like a supply demand thing or if it was because of the quarantine and people like snatching it up for, you know, for home workouts or or whatever the case may be, but it just shot up in value. I I was determined though. I did not want to pay above MSRP for it. <laughs> so I happened to see that It was kind of going in and out of stock. You could kind of see it flicker on Amazon and Best Buy and places like that. So I hit up my buddy Randy. Shout out to Randy, who's a store manager at my local GameStop. And I I just hit him up and I was like, hey, man, like I've kind of noticed that this is kind of coming in and out of stock in certain places. If you happen to have one float through your store, would you please give me a heads up? I will happily come and buy it from you. And it was so crazy. He just sort of, oh, yeah, no problem, you know. Within a couple of hours, <laughs> he says, uh, hey, it's here. We just got it in literally just now. So, yeah, come grab it. <laughs> and grab it I did. I now own Ringfit Adventure. And uh, it's been fun. I, I got to admit, I'm really impressed with the game. Now, admittedly, with everything leading up to the launch of our first episode and stuff, and and just sort of like getting getting all the work done from the final stages of that um admittedly i haven't put more than probably about an hour into it but uh i gotta admit i'm really impressed with it so far
1: you're gonna get shredded right
0: yeah i'm gonna get totally ripped no but you know it's it's a really cool little kind of rpg light you know and it's got it's got some pretty smart options for people like me who live on a top floor apartment i can sort of jog in place and you know, and, and get a little bit of a workout. I'm not gonna lie; the game totally like whipped me up and down. I mean, I'm let's not beat around the bush here. I I, I am not the type of person who works out regularly. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you; I am not in the best shape of my life right now. So,
1: well, it is here for you.
0: <laughs> Nintendo is here. Uh, so it's nice to work up a little bit of a sweat, kind of play like a really polished kind of Nintendo experience, smart design. They actually included, I don't know if you caught this, I think maybe a month or two ago, they had a free DLC drop with a rhythm game.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did see something about that, yeah.
0: It's really cool. Like, you can, and it integrates, like, the, you know, the the ring has, like, some tension to it. So to hit some of the notes, you have to push it in or pull it out. And then, you know, much to my chagrin, it it sprung it on me. It's like, oh, hey, now you're going to do a squat and hold. I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) <laughs> you know how long it's been since I've done a squat? You gonna learn today. You gonna learn today, boy. All while all while Pauline is singing Jump Up Superstar to you, nonetheless. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's been fun, though. I mean, I, I figure, you know, play this for like, you know, 30 minutes at a time or something. Work up a good sweat. You know, lo- You know, shed a few pounds in the process. Why not? So shout out to you, Nintendo, for that.
1: I've got to say, Nintendo has been doing some interesting things to try to get people more active in the past couple of months. I, I do notice one thing they do in animal crossing specifically is almost like peer pressure. You, you see a lot of your villagers go out and be active and exercise fairly regularly.
0: That's actually an excellent point. Yeah.
1: It, it's almost like this really passive, almost peer pressure. Like you pass by, you know, I have Goose, who's a chicken, ironically, in my town, and he's constantly talking about all the workouts he's doing. And, you know, you pass by him and he's in the plaza just, you know, doing squats or doing stretches and stuff like that. And I've got other villagers we'll occasionally see in, in track gear just running around exercising. I'm like, are you guys trying to tell me something?
0: Yeah. I mean, there are certainly the jock villager types, right? Yeah. And, but but they're also, even like my, my quote unquote lazy villagers, I'll see them working out with like little dumbbells and stuff.
1: And speaking of Nintendo trying to get people to work out, we will definitely touch back on that here in just a few minutes. But uh, I also have a very, very important announcement from the previous week. Yes. Uh, I am a first time uncle as of Thursday afternoon.
0: Yay. Congratulations.
1: All the love in the world goes out to my sister Allison, her husband Andrew, Andrea, Evangeline Adams was delivered without complication Thursday afternoon, and she is absolutely gorgeous. I, I, I could not be more excited. I shed a few tears. I'm, I, it is my goal in life now to have her first word be Nintendo.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. I'm, so, I'm look. Thank you for thank you for the Future All-End guest.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's definitely got to make a, an appearance on the show here very soon, but again, uh both of them recovering at home. Uh but just wanted to throw that out there. You know, super excited like again, first-time uncle, my first niece or nephew and I I I'm just so stoked. I'm so happy.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, congrats to you, congrats to your sister and her husband. That's that's awesome news. Happy everybody's healthy and doing well. I, uh, I have three nephews myself, so like, like I told you when, you when you first told me the news, better get ready to crack open that wallet.
1: Oh, I'm going to spoil <laughs> her so bad. My sister's going to hate me.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of a, a highlight of the week there.
1: It's certainly my highlight, personally. I mean, I've I played some video games. You know, I played a little Animal Crossing. I actually played a game called Planet Alpha. Planet Alpha? I don't know that I've ever heard of that. Planet Alpha. And it's a, a game by Team 17. Apparently their 100th game, based really? on the intro. But, I don't know, we might have to go into it and check it out and talk, it about it, talk about it a little bit more later. But it's it's interesting. It's certainly worth playing. Is it a fantastic game? Is it as good as the one we're showcasing today? I would say no. But is the game worth talking about? I would say so. So maybe you and I will have to come back to that a little bit later.
0: Dude, just, just on a, just a precursory like, Google search, I had no idea that Team 17 has been around since 1991. Apparently, yeah. These guys made games on the Amiga. That's a thing? Yes. I thought it was
1: just a myth that engage <laughs> owners told each other about. That's
0: insane. I had no idea that they had such a storied history. Yeah. Wow. Okay, you learn something new every day here on
1: All In. <laughs> <laughs> Our aim is to educate and entertain.
0: Absolutely, I know that. So we did want to shout out that they had that you know on the eShop a enormous summer sale. They, I think, there was like some odd like thirteen hundred games I think that went on sale during
1: that. Yeah, only thirteen hundred games on sale. Just a mere thirteen hundred. And not just like small indie games, like a big, a a big selection of Nintendo, like first party Nintendo games were 30 to 50% off.
0: I think they had like new Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe, Mario Tennis Aces, I think was on sale.
1: Yeah. A lot of their first party titles were, I was really impressed. I was too. Did
0: you happen to, did you happen to grab anything?
1: No, I already owned them oh. all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's usually the case with me, too. <laughs> I did grab a couple of little indie games that I had kind of been meaning to pick up on Switch, but they sort of slipped through the cracks. Like, just little tiny things like, uh, I don't know if you ever played Mark of the Ninja.
1: Oh, I saw it. I haven't played it, but I did see it, yeah.
0: Yeah, like that That was on sale. I picked up the Nino Cooney uh, remaster for 20 bucks you know. Oh, nice. So there's a couple little things that I grabbed. It was cool to see, but yeah, in, in terms of the first party stuff, like you said, I, I already owned all of it for the most part, but
1: I got to admit uh I wasn't thinking too too much about buying a lot of new games because we knew that The Isle of Armor was coming out yeah. this week, which of course it did, and you and I have both put a few hours into it already. I you know, we will definitely talk about this more in the next episode. We will go into very, very deep detail next week. But initial yes. impressions right now, uh, just with the few hours we've put into it, I'm really impressed. I really like what I've seen.
0: I am too. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving it so far. Absolutely. I find it very interesting how I love armor. And again, we're going to get into much more detail about this on next week on the show. But just even from the early outset, I'm playing this and I'm just sort of like, wow. Like Isle of Armor seems to be inching us ever closer in that direction, I think, of that that, that everybody sort of wants Pokemon to be. We're, we're, that, that kind of like open world exploration heavy. I've probably put three to four hours into the game already and I haven't really done too much in the way of story. I'm just exploring the island. And I think that's something that's, a lot of people sort of want Pokemon to be, and I think we're starting to see them inch ever closer to that with this DLC.
1: Well, once we finish it up, we'll see if, uh, see if, see if it gives us a really good indication of what a Pokemon game like that could actually be. I'm thinking yes, yes but we'll certainly see.
0: Yeah, one more thing. I just wanted to really, really quickly shout out, because I have not put a ton of time into it, but I did. I had it pre-ordered for a while. Uh, Summer and Mara.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I did kind of boot that up just to sort of get a feel for it. Um, I I was a little disheartened to see. And again, you know, and we said this on episode one, we're going to be as positive as we can about games, um, but we are going to be honest. And I was, I will, just to be honest with you, I was a little bit disheartened before the game came out to read some of the press and some of the reviews it was getting. It was kind of lukewarm. And I was like, okay, I have the game, you know, pre-ordered already. Let me just check it out for myself, formulate my own opinion, you know, and this game is sort of... I, I get the sense... There is a really good idea here that I think it just needed a little bit more time in the oven. I think that a little bit of spit and polish would have went a long way. Just little quality of life things would have went a long way to making the game a lot more enjoyable. I, it's not bad. I definitely want to spend some more time on it and maybe I'll report back once I do. But um, just just on the outset, just playing it for like an hour earlier this week when it came out I, my my early impressions of it were like okay like i like what they're going for here but i would have liked to see it just a little more just a little more i guess let, let it ripen on the vine a little bit more you know
1: i understand and you and i are both huge huge advocates for indie games and this one oh, certainly yes. looked promising the entire time leading up to its release i'll I'll check it out myself uh we'll talk about it and I mean, again, that's unfortunately something that happens.
0: It happens. I mean, you know, I'll circle back, I think, once I put a little bit more time into it, but just early impressions are, are a little soft. It's not bad, but it's like, you know, I, I there's just little tiny things that I wish would have been adjusted, play tested maybe a little bit more. Things like, just for example, it, the game has a really, really, really heavy focus on crafting, mm-hmm. and it's a very minor annoyance. But when you have to do it, as many times as you do, even just in the first hour, when you have to go all the way, you have to trek all the way back to your house every time you want to craft something. It's just a really minor thing that I wish would have been sort of notated and smoothed out. And then just little stuff like there's, you know, it's it's on Switch and there's, you know, it's an indie game. So you're, you don't expect it to be flawless, but there's, there is some kind of like a little bit of jankiness to the animation and stuff like that, but. But the art style is beautiful and I really like the character designs and stuff like that and the music is really soothing. It, there, there's, good, there's good stuff here and I, I want to see more of it. I'm definitely going to put in some more time.
1: I will say before we move on that that is something that, that's one of the things that makes the video game medium so great is when you're trying to improve a sequel or a follow-up because of the way video games are because of the way they're crafted there's often a much more clear roadmap. map To doing that it's not nearly as many subjective choices as there are if you're trying to improve a sequel with like a a book or a movie or you know do additional seasons of a television series with games it's Mm. you know there's a lot of very objective things that you can do to make something better Uh, so hopefully you know if they decide to go that route we can see some lessons learned that's an
0: excellent point yeah I've never really considered that. That's a really excellent point. There are just little... It's measurable, right? It's something that you can point to and say, hey, like, this could be improved to make the overall experience better. That's a really good point.
1: Yeah. It's like, oh, hey, this was an interesting mechanic, but it's used way too much. Let's go ahead and tone it down. Or, man, this game is huge. It would really benefit from a fast travel option. You know, just little things like that.
0: Right. And that's stuff you got to understand, too, with these small sort of indie teams. They don't necessarily have the time or resources to, like do things like like test like ad nauseum like these bigger companies can afford to so definitely have a little bit of understanding about that when you play an indie game so you know
1: but let's go ahead and start getting into what we came here for Hey, listen. there's a little bit of news this week <laughs> oh man you gonna be okay
0: <laughs> yeah it, it's it was pretty crazy the i mean we're, we'll get more into
1: it we're pretty far from that Pokemon Center now, so I want to make sure.
0: <laughs> well, I, I think I'll I think I'll manage. I think m- my HP is topped off for the time being.
1: Okay, good, <laughs> good, good. Let's start slow. Let's start with that NPD report.
0: Yes. So I have got some some exciting. I mean, I don't know if this is something that uh, the audience at large is interested in. Let us know definitely if this is something that you want us to cover on the show. I find it fascinating. But NPD sales data for the month of May 2020 has been released. So I just wanted to go over it briefly and see sort of what we can, you know, what we can kind of take away from it. Uh, I really like looking at these sales numbers and I, I think it's, uh, I think it's sort of important. It's, it kind of shows us where we stand. It kind of gives us an idea of how well these games are selling. They sort of attach rate right with the fans and I think it's really fascinating stuff. So kind of looking at it here, I'm going to, Uh, There are a couple of little caveats here that we need to talk about, especially since a a lot of our listeners may not be familiar with the NPD. This, again, is a breakdown of sort of uh, video game sales, primarily software sales. Uh, An important thing to notate as we kind of go over this stuff is that this almost entirely, especially as it relates to Nintendo, encapsulates physical sales. So... Nintendo does not report digital sales to the NPD.
1: That's so weird.
0: Yeah, it is. I don't know what the reasoning behind it is.
1: If any of our listeners know, definitely reach out to us and let us know. Because, again, that's, that's just so weird. It just seems like something that, you know, you're trying to make your company look as good as possible. Why not report all of the sales? So again, uh, there may be a legit reason, and again, if any of our listeners know that, please do reach out to us and inform us educate us
0: yeah totally i I am very curious to know to know why it's, it's still even even with that in mind, so it's just something to sort of bear in mind as you 're looking at these numbers and stuff but um, even with all that being said, and even despite the fact that may twenty twenty didn't have any enormous new releases outside of stuff like Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, U.S. video game fans definitely opened up their wallets uh, this month, this past month. Spending hit $977 million for the video game industry in terms of hardware, full game sales, and accessories. In terms of video game hardware, $235 million was spent, which is a 56% increase over last May. $438 million were spent on software, which is a 67% increase over last May. Absolutely insane. This is actually the highest tracked spending for a May month since May
1: 2008. I'm sure a lot of that has to do with, you know, a lot of stuff still being shut down during the pandemic. Absolutely. But I mean, still like those numbers are still ridiculous. To say that total spending across an, Industry for either hardware or software for an entire month period is up by 50 or 60 percent. Like, those are like those are comical numbers. Just to put that in perspective, think for every two video games or every two consoles that were sold last year in May, an additional console or an additional game was sold this May. Yes. It's not just like, you know, there's a few extra games being sold or a couple more systems being sold. It's an additional one for every two.
0: It's, it's crazy. And it, it, even when you look at the year-to-date track spending, it actually, even that, just year-to-date, has increased 18% compared to last year. So even, even that is a staggering increase in year-to-date sales. I'm so. sure
1: most of that 18% has, is wrapped up in Animal Crossing.
0: <laughs> that's true, but again, you have to you have to consider, right, that this is not even considering the fact that Animal Crossing's digital sales are not being reported. And we recently, I think it was reported recently that Animal Crossing surpassed 10 million digital
1: sales. Exactly, yeah. I mean, that's, that's nuts. 10 million copies, just digitally, not even physical. 10 million copies purchased and downloaded digitally. Like yes. most most games would be happy they would be ecstatic to reach 1 million in sales to reach 10 million the game came out march 20th people <laughs> right and again yes it had a lot to do with the pandemic and a lot of people staying home but still even then this this game outsold every expectation that anybody ever dreamed for it
0: yeah absolutely it's it's become a massive success and actually Let's let's t- kind of take that point to lead into the top 10 best-selling games of the year thus far. This is across all platforms. Again, this is uh, physical and digital, except for the case of Nintendo first party. Uh, and I'll just read these off in order. Number one, Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Number two is where Animal Crossing New Horizons falls. Mm-hmm. Number three, Final Fantasy VII Remake.
1: Yeah, that makes total sense.
0: Number four, Grand Theft Auto Five. God, still seven years later. Seven years later, still the fourth best-selling game of 2020 thus far.
1: Uh, we're <laughs> never getting Grand Theft Auto Six. Rockstar's just making way too much money. Why would we? Why, why would we? Just keep supporting this. Good lord! Seven years later, this. Uh.
0: Number five, NBA 2K20. Okay. Number six, Dragon Ball
1: Z Kakarot. That's an interesting top 10 appearance.
0: Very interesting. It has been hanging on in the top 10 since release. That game was a sleeper hit. Uh, Number seven, MLB The Show 20. Very nice. Number eight, Resident Evil 3 Remake.
1: Yeah, makes sense.
0: Number nine, Madden NFL 20.
1: Yeah, of course. The trifecta of sports games, NBA 2K, MLB The Show, and Madden.
0: And then rounding out at number 10, Red Dead Redemption 2, another Rockstar game.
1: Another Rockstar game that is years old at this point.
0: So yeah, Rockstar has all of the money. Rockstar, can you please sponsor
1: us? (laughs) Just, I don't need much. You've you've got (laughs) enough money. Can we just get a little sponsorship deal, please?
0: Let let us wet our beak a little bit. (laughs) God. So, but in terms of Nintendo Switch games specifically, the top 10 best-selling games on Nintendo hardware for the month of May 2020 are in order. Surprise, surprise, Animal Crossing New Horizons at number one. No. Yeah. Number two, Mario Kart
1: 8 Deluxe. Wow, a launch... uh, Was that a launch title? No. Uh,
0: It was not a launch title. It was very soon. I want to say... So, the system came out in
1: March. March 2017
0: Yes, and I think that came out in April.
1: Yeah. I know it was if I don't think it was launched. I know Breath of the Wild came out at launch, but it came out really soon after launch.
0: I think they had that sort of like that that triple threat where it was like Breath of the Wild at launch, Mario Kart in April, Splatoon in May.
1: And don't forget ARMS that summer, which recently took free. I love ARMS. I will always advocate for ARMS. Still looking forward to playing whoever the arms character is going to be in smash brothers
0: supposed to be this month. And we're coming up towards the end of the month. So, you know, it's entirely likely that we'll be talking about that next
1: week on the show. Probably. I I shadow drop incoming.
0: (laughs) Uh, Number three, Xenoblade Chronicles, definitive edition. Of course. So that's where that falls. Now worth noting, we may see this track a little bit higher next month because it did come out at the end of the month and I think it only had like two or three days. On market to track for this uh, for this month's NPD, so we may see it a little bit higher next month, depending. Number four, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Uh, that's probably especially if the Arms Fighter drops, we'll probably see a little bit of a spike in sales for that. Uh, number five, The Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild.
1: Wow, not Link's Awakening. Breath of the Wild still tracking top ten.
0: Yes. Number six, Just Dance
1: 2020. Whoa. Whoa. Huh. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I think that has something. I think they had a pretty major sale on that game recently.
1: All right. Well, that that would make sense.
0: Yeah, I think I think it actually got a huge markdown. I think it was still going for 60 bucks and I think it was on sale for 20.
1: I know the big story about Just Dance 2020 is the fact that it sold better on the Wii than it did the Xbox yes. One and the PS4. Yeah. Which is amazing.
0: That's an incredible statistic. <laughs>
1: Our listeners like, Did Just Dance 2020 came out for the Wii, isn't that? Yes, it came out on the Wii, a system that's that old. In 2020, a game came out on the Wii.
0: Number seven, Pokemon Sword. We will certainly see a little Pokemon bump next month with the expansions. Oh, yes. So expect to see that a little bit higher next month. Uh, number eight, New Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe.
1: Nice, fantastic game.
0: Number nine, Luigi's Mansion 3.
1: Also fantastic game.
0: And then rounding out number 10, Super Mario Odyssey.
1: Were any of those not first-party titles? Just Dance 2020 wasn't.
0: Yeah, Just Dance is the only one. Everything else is a first-party
1: title. I'm on third-party developers. Yeah. Trust Trust me, we know Nintendo is very good at what they do. But, you know, you can step your game up. Looking at you, Bayonetta, looking forward to that.
0: That's actually a fairly good segue, speaking of third party, if we want to talk about the EA Play Live event that happened this week.
1: Yes. Uh, A couple interesting notes. They did announce Apex Legends for any of those who are into Battle Royale shooters. Apex Legends is confirmed for the Switch.
0: My wife will be happy about that. She loves
1: Apex. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's not the only one. You actually have a direct quote from the conference, correct?
0: Yeah, so I do have that. They, you know, EA is planning on bringing a lot of other stuff. It is worth noting too. Um, EA has got, and they made this very clear during the EA Play Live 2020 event that they are focusing heavily on crossplay. So worth noting that Apex Legends, when it does come to Switch this fall, it is going to have crossplay support with PC, Xbox One, PS4, and and all that. So that's pretty cool. If you have friends that play on other consoles, you will still be able to play with them on your Switch.
1: We're going to find out very quickly what uh, version of the game has the best netcode.
0: <laughs> yes. But uh, but yeah, at EA Play Live, uh, Respawn Entertainment's senior social media mar- uh, manager, Alex Ackerman, uh, they did announce that the global publisher would be bringing seven, yes, seven, uh, games to the Switch over the next 12 months. Now, this is interesting because EA has sort of been a little trepidatious with the switch up until now they haven't really offered a lot of switch support up until now and now in the next 12 months we've got seven games coming to the platform quote you can expect seven new games coming to switch in the next 12 months including burnout paradise coming tomorrow and apex legends later this year end quote now we kind of know a, a few others. We, we know that Apex Legends is coming. Burnout Paradise is coming. We also know that FIFA 21 is one of these games. And another EA Originals title, an indie title called Lost in Random, which is coming to the Switch in 2021, is also one of these games. So four of the seven games have sort of been revealed.
1: Yeah, and they premiered the trailer for Lost in Shadow at EA's event. And it does look really interesting. If you're a fan of the Leica Studio games... Uh, I'm sorry, the Leica Studio movies, Kubo and the Two Strings, Paranorman, Coraline, you will be super into Lost in Shadow. It's definitely got that Leica, Tim Burton-esque feel. The game itself also looks like it could have come straight out of the mind of Tim Schafer. It, it definitely got a little bit of a Psychonauts vibe from it. Oh, yeah. So if you're into stuff that's a little bit weird, then definitely check out Lost in Shadow. I know Seth and I will. Looks looks pretty pretty interesting from its uh from its initial trailer yes,
0: looks pretty cool in terms of the three other games that could be making their way to switch i'm sort of do you do you have anything rattling around it that you think may e a titles that may be making the jump
1: oh man that's uh you think battlefront two you think that good
0: I don't know i I don't know that they're super interested and i i again staying positive but ea the the way that they've been handling the star wars license it's just sort of they've, they've given me no confidence to be frank in, in that they would they would sort of like make that leap and and kind of make a risky bet and put it on switch i would love to see it i love battlefront 2 and and i love my switch i would love to see that but i don't know for my money i think something that i'm surprised actually isn't already on switch is something like Plants vs. Zombies.
1: Oh, yeah. Or even Peggle. Well, any any PopCap game really would find a, a pretty decent home on the Switch.
0: Yeah, I mean, those seem like no-brainers to me uh, for, for the Switch. And then there have been rumblings. I'm a little surprised that we didn't see this during the EA Play Live event, but there have been rumblings for some time about a Mass Effect trilogy remaster coming this year for uh, for consoles, and the Switch is supposedly one of them.
1: Bioware, remember when you liked us? Yeah, exactly. Don't don't get me wrong. I love Bioware. KOTOR is amazing, speaking of Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed Jade Empire. And then, you know, of course, the Mass Effect trilogy. And I would love nothing more than to see them really bounce back from Andromeda and Anthem.
0: I I loved KOTOR. I loved stuff like Jade Empire. That for me, is like the golden age of Bioware, right? And then, yes, the Mass Effect Trilogy was absolutely amazing. But that Mass Effect 3 was probably the last Bioware game that I really enjoyed.
1: Bioware, bounce back.
0: We'd love to see it. I would absolutely love to see that. I'm rooting for Bioware, for sure.
1: I will say, if one of your games does come to the Switch, we will certainly be talking about it.
0: Oh, Mass Effect Trilogy remaster on Switch? That would be a day one purchase for me. Absolutely. (laughs) So, I don't know. That's just so, some of the stuff that I think EA could have uh, kind of rattling around for, for the Switch in the next year.
1: Uh, I will say we do have a couple other things to get to.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, just really, really quickly, just to hit some of these headlines and uh, and talk about this. So... The full launch lineup uh, that's coming on August 1st of the Lego Cross Super Mario collaboration uh, and its expansion sets has been revealed. Just sort of touch on that just really, really quickly. Coming August 1st, there are going to be eight expansion sets that have stuff like, you know, it's going to be like a, uh, I think there's kind of a Super Mario World Yoshi thing, a King Boo expansion, a Thwomp expansion, various character packs, where where they're probably going to get me with this is the uh, the blind bags that they're going to have available. I think there's 10 collectible enemy characters.
1: I got to say I don't I haven't really bought a lot of Lego sets recently. I do dig the games though. I will say I do dig the games. I I've, I've played quite a few of those in my time.
0: Yeah, and that's something just you know really quickly I I sort of feel like this this has to be like a little bit of a you know they wouldn't collaborate with Nintendo just for a set of toys. You know, I I sort of feel, even though this is a really innovative take on the sort of Lego toy formula, I I sort of feel like that they're laying the groundwork for a potential Lego Nintendo collaborative game. I I think, I think taking on Mario with this sort of Lego style, I think is a no brainer in the video game
1: space. Lego Mario. I'd, I'd play it. I feel like that game would be kind of like Mario rabbits kingdom battle,
0: which was amazing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) you you know what that's fair that game wasn't that game was so much better than it had any right to be so i'm i'm down for that speaking of coming games though uh potentially a new super monkey ball
0: yeah so new super monkey ball this is a little little bit of a walk I'll, i'll just kind of kind of quickly go through the footnotes maybe when there's an official announcement from sega we can talk about it a little more in depth but yeah this there's a YouTuber named Nick Robinson who is a massive Monkey Ball fan, and there's an incredible—maybe I'll link it in the description for this episode. There's an incredible video that he did where he—it's been a long-standing sort of anomaly in the Monkey Ball community—who is the voice of the Monkey Ball announcer from Super Monkey oh, Ball One yeah, and Two? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw that video.
0: Yes. So he went through this incredible process and finally tracks the guy down. And then all of the sort of fervor around the video uh, combined with the fact that Sega recently re-released Banana Blitz on the Switch has sort of reinvigorated the interest for Monkey Ball. And the voice actor, I think his name is Brian Matt, contacted Nick Robinson with sort of a little bit of a scoop. And he was very, very careful to, with his wording and, and what he was able to say, of course, there's NDAs and stuff. Uh, but he, he thinks that he was being, uh, he actually came in for a recording session for a new super monkey ball title. And there is a whole video on Nick Robinson's YouTube channel detailing that with a little interview with Brian Matt's where he talks about some of the recording process and what they called him in to do and some of the things he's allowed to talk about. But it seems like a new monkey ball game is on the horizon.
1: Well, obviously, Sega released Banana Blitz last year. Maybe it sold well enough that they are that they greenlit a new game. For a lot of folks, you know,
0: this may be a Sega title, but it does have a lot of, you know, kind of history with Nintendo. The first two games, obviously, being for the GameCube. Uh, Banana Blitz was a launch title for the Wii. And as a matter of fact, Banana Blitz was the best-selling game in the series. So even though Banana Blitz, for a lot of fans, I think sort of marks the downfall for the series... It was. It's sort of a little more casual. It introduced things like guardrails and like a jump button and stuff like that.
1: I dug it. I really liked it. I actually
0: liked it too. For for what it's worth, I'm not one of these like super duper hardcore monkey ball guys. But I, from what it sounds like, from from what we're sort of gathering based on the things that Brian Matt was saying in this interview, and again, I'll link to that in the episode description if you guys want to check that out. Uh, it sounds like this monkey ball could potentially. Be taking the series back back to its roots, kind of in a maybe a Sonic Mania esque Monkey Ball game.
1: We'll certainly see what happens. I would like for it to be good if it is indeed going to happen. But a game that we do know is going to happen, that we thought we just mentioned very briefly, is the new Kingdom Hearts rhythm based game that's been announced and is coming to the Switch.
0: Yes, the first Kingdom Hearts game on Switch.
1: And Seth, you told you told me it kind of gave you some theater rhythm vibes. If anybody's ever played the theater rhythm game on the 3DS, it was a, it would say Final Fantasy, but basically Square Enix styled rhythm game. Uh, yes. It used a lot of the music from the Final Fantasy series and ultimately with DLC from Chrono Trigger and other Square properties. But uh, you think the new kingdom hearts game looks a lot like that sort
0: of. Yeah. I mean, it's got this sort of, you can watch the Japanese trailer. It's called melody of memories and it's got this, you're running on a track and it's Sora and the various party members, Donald goofy with, you know, Disney characters running on a track and performing actually like straight up performing actions and attacks to the beat of the music. And I mean, if you're, if you've ever played the kingdom hearts games, you know, you know how incredible Yoko Shimomura's soundtrack to the series is—one of my favorites of all time. And to see, to see, sort of her score with kind of what looks to be kind of more traditional rhythm gameplay with the visuals and everything, and then coming on Switch—I mean, this is a little bit of a dream come true for me. I got to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but when I saw, it was so funny because you know, being a longtime Kingdom Hearts fan. The title was actually leaked beforehand, like a day beforehand. And I was like, okay, Melody of Memory, if I know Kingdom Hearts, I know two things. This is probably going to be some sort of rhythm game, and it's absolutely going to be part of the convoluted canon. (laughs) And both of those things are correct.
1: I mean, I don't know why everybody thinks the story from Kingdom Hearts is so convoluted. I mean, you only need about 15 cork boards to understand what's going on.
0: Yeah, to even to even make sense of the titles of the games.
1: <laughs> They're very Japanese.
0: One of them is called like 358 over two days. So, <laughs> but yeah, so that, anyway, that's Melody of Memory coming this year to Switch. I'm excited for this. Uh, theater rhythm was amazing. And, you know, like I said, Kingdom Hearts has an incredible soundtrack. Give me that on the Switch with this, what we see from this gameplay. I, I'm pretty stoked about it.
1: I will definitely see. I've got to say that I'm slightly getting vibes from a different 3DS game. Okay. If anybody listening has not played Harmonite on the 3DS and you dig rhythm games, definitely check it out. Done by Game Freak. Yes, that Game Freak. The Game Freak that we're going to be talking a lot about because of a certain Pocket Monster franchise. (laughs) Uh, they did a downloadable game on the 3DS called Harmonite, which was a rhythm action platformer. That's a great pull. It's really, really interesting game. If you haven't checked it out, you still own the 3DS, definitely check it out. But I was getting those kinds of vibes myself. So maybe we'll find something in the middle, like theater rhythm and Harmonite having some weird Kingdom Hearts baby.
0: I could totally see that. Harmonite's a great pull. I love that game.
1: We will definitely talk about that more as we have more information. And going back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago about Nintendo trying to find ways to get people more active, it turns out that a couple of their developers that have been working from home using their time very productively created a jump rope challenge game that Nintendo just shadow dropped on the switch this week.
0: This was so crazy.
1: And and again, I mean, it's, it's not a very complicated game. Obviously you just take your joy cons and you mimic jumping rope, just Nintendo doing yet another thing to try to get people active to get people up and moving. But it's certainly worth noting that Nintendo of America tweeted out within the first three days of the game being downloadable over 200 million jumps had been recorded through the game now we thought a few people might download it as a nice little fun novelty app but 200 million jumps recorded in three days
0: that's an incredible statistic those are like npd number crazy (laughs) yes i made i actually made a a tweet in regards to this is games called jump rope challenge yeah very simple game i i kind of made a quick tweet about this and it's like hey nintendo just seems to really like jump rope because i think back to the warioWare jump rope mini game yeah i think back to the the mario odyssey jump rope uh, jump rope mission oh don't remind me <laughs> the nintendo labo uh, has a jump rope mini game and now jump rope challenge
1: you know it that's a good point you know i didn't really realize that The only times I've, I guess, I've really even seen Jump Rope in the past few years is by Nintendo. I wasn't even paying attention, but yeah. Uh, Are they trying to tell us something, like subliminal Jump Rope advertising or something?
0: Yeah, that's the next NPD. We're going to (laughs) see, we're going to look at that Jump Rope sales.
1: Oh, please don't do microtransactions, Nintendo.
0: That's the real Jump Up Superstar.
1: It really is subliminal messaging, isn't it? Probably.
0: Even the song lyrics.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I did the jump rope challenge in Mario Odyssey with on a moped like everybody else.
0: Oh yeah. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Don't try that in real life kids.
1: Yes. yes. Do not try to jump rope on a moped unless you were doing it in Mario Odyssey.
0: So real quick, just to sort of wrap up the, uh, the news segment this week, it it has been an overstuffed uh, news week. A lot of Nintendo news, obviously. And next week is probably not going to be any different, but to sort of wrap us up here, The day before last week's episode goes live, because of course they did, Nintendo graced us with this five-minute video that revealed further details about Paper Mario the Origami King. This video details things that we sort of speculated on in last week's episode that was already pre-recorded and stuff like that. Things like the kind of partner characters going more in-depth on the combat system What did you make of this?
1: Well, I mean, it did confirm a lot of the things that we were talking about. We still talked about a lot of the things that have not been really talked about or confirmed. But I will say the more that I'm seeing of the game, the less cautious, I guess I feel. The more I see the game, the more I start to feel like, okay, 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 I like that. Okay, I like that. Like, one of the things we did say last week is... Talking about how the generic Babam, the generic Goomba, a lot of these generic-looking characters that you have as partner characters, yeah. Uh, apparently, the Babam's name is Bobby. He introduces right. himself as Babam in the game, but I guess he does have a name, which again might not seem like a massive deal for a lot of people. But one of the things that made a lot of the characters interesting was just how much they individualized them. And to see that they're, you know, still attempting, still trying to go that route, as opposed to just saying, hey, I'm a Babam, or I'm a Goomba.
0: I guess the deal with that is that Bobby has amnesia, from what I was sort of reading. I guess the character has got amnesia, so he doesn't even remember his name.
1: Well, I mean, the character's got a character arc, at least. Yeah, so, you know, that, that gives me hope.
0: And then, like, the Toad that we were kind of seeing, that is Professor Toad. Ah. And then, obviously, Kamek.
1: Yeah, I started getting, like, super hopeful for Captain Toad, who might still, you know, show up, but, you know, I'm a huge Captain Toad fan over here. Oh, yes. Captain Toad for life. Uh, Yeah, like I said, we did speculate on a few things that Nintendo did confirm in the trailer. We did call a few of our shots, but the game is coming out in just a few weeks' time, so everything that we've speculated on, everything that we've seen, will be confirmed or deconfirmed July 17th anyway. We will definitely get back to you with the full roundup of paper mario the origami king once it releases next month
0: well with all that out of the way i don't know about you i'm ready for the indie showcase (laughs) so when we were talking about our indie showcase for this week's episode this was a game that i had played sort of on a whim i i you know I, i had seen it and I think a nindy presentation or a Nintendo indie world presentation or something like that and having been a fan of the developer uh, and and sort of their past work we talked about the switch's launch earlier in the show fast rmx was another launch title that i really liked yeah and they they just shinen games has this way of really taking advantage of the switch or the nintendo hardware and and so that was what immediately tuned me into the tourist. And so I was sort of thinking about what's a really good switch exclusive indie game that we could talk about and give a spotlight to on the show this week. And you hadn't had a chance to play it yet. I
1: think you sort of binged it. Is that right? Yeah, I hundred percent of the game in a single sitting. And it's not a super long game. It's not. And you know, when you talk about a lot of independent games, that it that is a fairly common thread that you do see. But that is not to say the game is not immensely enjoyable, which the tourist turns out is pretty immensely enjoyable.
0: I'm glad you liked it. I've been, actually, I've been uh, eagerly awaiting to hear your thoughts because we have not talked about it previously.
1: Well, one of the first things you immediately notice is the visual style. Yes. And if anybody's seen our social media post about the tourist earlier in the week, uh you'll probably wonder what you were looking at if you hadn't played the game yet. Is that, is that Minecraft? What am I looking at? <laughs> the game has a 3D pixel look. The closest thing I can really compare it to is if you've ever played the PlayStation 3 game, 3D dot game heroes. I love that game. Uh but it's there's something there is something really, really clean about the visual style of the game, despite the fact that it is very blocky. Yes. It is very bright, very colorful, but the animation and the design of just a lot of the elements in the environment, despite being 3D pixels, still have an almost organic look to them.
0: Absolutely. I Well, and, you know, going back to the, the word clean for the game makes a lot of sense to me. That, that really tracks for me, and I, I think... Again, Shinon just has this way of taking advantage of Nintendo hardware in such an amazing way. The game just runs, I think it never I think it never dips below 60 frames. And like it never stutters whatsoever. It just runs perfectly. It has like really quick like load times and it's, I mean
1: I mean it's immediate. When yes. I say immediate, I mean there's there's no load time. Right. You launch the game; it takes you immediately to the main screen. You pick new game or continue. It immediately thrusts you into the game. I mean, there's l- literally less than a second load.
0: And I and I think it's it's super important too, just from the kind of structure of the game. I mean just just kind of give an idea of what kind of game this is. There's no appreciable combat. There there are maybe like four three or four scenarios you could maybe call a combat scenario in the game but it's not really a combat focused game it's more of an adventure puzzle solving kind of game
1: yeah it's basically a 3d puzzle platformer
0: yeah and you you uh you go kind of visiting these various islands throughout the game and it gets to the point where you know it could have easily been really frustrating especially with some of the side quests to have to go sort of back and forth between all these different islands, but because the load times are so instantaneous, it is never inconvenient to do that.
1: And there's certainly plenty of islands to go visit. They're not super huge. Again, this is a game that you could 100% probably in around seven hours. So, you know, it's it's not exactly Red Dead Redemption 2 levels of time involvement. But uh, again super enjoyable if you like platformers uh, at all you should really really dig it i know that there were quite a few standout moments for me uh, i was trying to think of other games like it aside from 3 Heroes, but honestly seth i think you kind of had it best when when you told me about the game obviously uh, like we were talking about i hadn't played it before this week and you kind of pitched it to me like oh i think you'll really like it eric it's kind of, it's a lot like star tropics yes that certainly seems like a pretty fair comparison when i was playing through the game i was like oh man i i absolutely see where he was coming from with that again much more combat in star tropics but kind of the island hopping you know puzzle platformer feel of it the
0: sort of underlying like tone of mystery yeah
1: yeah and we don't want to spoil anything for you but things do become a little weirder than oh, just yeah. a guy jumping from island to island. And it, it does get very, very interesting. And, again, weird. I mean, I don't really know a better way to put that without spoiling anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course we, we wouldn't dream of spoiling it. The, the, you know, the game's story is it's one of those kind of ambiguous things where it sort of allows the player room to piece it together for themselves. It's not in your face. But uh, but no, I, I really, I came away from it really happy with the story and its conclusion and stuff like that. And just like the, I found it very interesting. It was a, enough of a mystery to sort of keep me uh, going along.
1: One of the most impressive things I think for me was the arcade. Ah, yes. There's an arcade in the game that has three mini games. And typically when you see mini games, in another game, they're they're basically throwaway uh, affairs. Something that you can do just to break up the monotony of the main gameplay for a few seconds and then forget about them. Right. But the three games that are in the arcade were legitimately all three really good. I booted up The Tourist a couple times after I'd finished 100% just to go back and try my hand at those games again.
0: Oh, they, they could have absolutely put those games on the eShop for $5.
1: I will say one thing. Does, do you know, does Shin and Games own the trademark or the rights to Arkanoid, the old arcade game?
0: I don't know. <laughs> but, I was about to uh, say,
1: if they don't, then they might have some legal trouble <laughs> on there. Because one of the arcade <laughs> games in question is straight up Arkanoid. Some people might know it better by Breakout. But basically what you have is this paddle that goes along the bottom of the screen and you have all these blocks toward the top of the screen and this ball that just keeps bouncing around. And the entire point is just to keep the ball bouncing around the screen to keep it from falling down the bottom. And the different blocks can potentially drop power-ups and there will occasionally be enemies floating around.
0: I think there's sort of probably their justification for it is their kind of version of that just goes to such a level of insanity with the drops and
1: stuff they use the same sound effect too though from Arkanoid. <laughs> like it's legit the same sound effect when the ball hits the paddle from Arkanoid. well
0: and then also so one of the other arcade games is a sort of like make of their racing series fast racing neo yes and it's really cool the way they do it and you can even with that game i mean that is sort of since Nintendo does not seem to be making any F Zero games since the what GameCube,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, it seems like this is probably the closest we're gonna get. So that that's, that game feels very much like F Zero.
1: And then the last one, just to kind of bring it full circle, is if you've ever played Rare's Jetpack Joyride, uh, it's kind of like that, but very very arcadey style game where there are sticks of dynamite on the screen, and you, the player character basically jetpacks around trying to collect all the sticks of dynamite. Now, the gimmick is they light, the sticks of dynamite light in a specific order. If you collect the lit dynamite stick, you get more points than if you collect an unlit dynamite stick. So, ostensibly, there's a correct path, quote-unquote correct path, to go through the level which is typically a little bit more challenging but you get more points so risk versus reward you say do you want to try to increase the challenge a little bit go for more points or are you just going to take the safe path get less points but you know make sure you get to the next stage and again ultimately just like most of the arcade games from the late 70s into the 80s and early 90s Super simple concept that if they had made that a real arcade game, I could absolutely see that munching quarters all day.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, and to that, end, I mean, they one of the things that I thought was really smart about the game, you know, the arcade is great, obviously, but then they they there are several sort of side missions that incentivize you just getting to know the game's world and characters. Yep. Even though, you know, many of the characters aren't even really named. But, you know, there's a side quest, for example, where there's this, like, art gallery collector that kind of, like, gives you almost these bounties of pictures to take, right?
1: <laughs>
0: and you, you become, you, you sort of come to know the world so well, and the characters so well, they're like, oh, I know where, you know, I know where that is. I know, you know, I can sort of figure out that I need to take this picture of this person, or, oh, wait, I thought it was this, and it's not, you know, they do a pretty good job with that.
1: I will say, it's not that there's not a lot to do in the game. We say you can 100% the game in under seven hours, which is true. Again, that's not to say there's not a lot to do in the game. It's just the pace of the game is very, very quick. You won't find yourself doing the same thing for very long at all. Even Even the things that act as basically the dungeons of the game are only a few screens large. Right. I mean, there is, of course, the main story that you can go through. Each of the islands, each of the eight islands that you can travel to, does have, uh, for the most part, several different side quests that you can fulfill as well. One of the ones that you just mentioned, of course, being the the, the photo bounty. But there's <laughs> but there's still plenty, still plenty to do oh, yeah. in that six seven hour period. I think of that, uh, <laughs> the uh, pull-up minigame. Oh my, I didn't want to even mention the pull-up minigame. <laughs> my hand actually cramped up a little bit trying to do it.
0: Just PTSD. My hand has PTSD from that. <laughs> you know, it's. If, I will say, if I have one minor complaint, I really, really, really like that game a lot. Yeah. If I had one minor complaint, I'm, I wonder how you feel about this. I'm going to speak about it very vaguely, but I think you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. There are moments of platforming in the game. There is one particular, you talked about sort of dungeons. You know, this game, as we said, is kind of a 3D pixel or voxel style. There's one moment in the game where it's like, oh, hey, by the way, the platforms are now going to be circular. (coughs) And to me, that was like by far the most frustrating bit of platforming in that entire game.
1: Yeah, the circular platforms he's talking about admittedly don't have the best hit detection. Well, it's just so hard to gauge the
0: depth, you know, because everything else is is square and, and rigid. So now all of a sudden there's these, like, circular rounded platforms that you're expected to sort of, and the best way you have to do it is to sort of use your shadow to gauge if you're going to land on it or not, but it's it's really strange.
1: It does force you to adjust the camera quite a bit before you actually make the leap. Oh, yes but ultimately the game is not really that challenging no that is kind of the standout point but even if you fall off that platform you're immediately respawned within the same room
0: oh yeah yeah so instant
1: yeah so it's not not very punishing uh very similar to wander song from last week not a game that is trying to go out of its way to challenge the players uh, it, it just wants the players to experience the game.
0: Right. Right. And this is, you know, it's interesting if you look at Shinen's sort of track record, you know, Fast RMX, Fast Racing Neo, and stuff like that. They don't really have any sort of real appreciable story. I mean, this this game is kind of different from other games that they've made in the past.
1: I did find one game that's fairly similar. Okay. So it turns out I did some research after I beat the game. Turns out Shinnin Games made some WiiWare titles. This is not the first system they've released some independent games for. And as a matter of fact, uh a lot of their other games, Fast RMX, uh, as a matter of fact, uh Nano Stray on the Nintendo DS, Nano Stray Nano Stray 2, a couple shoot 'em ups from the DS. That's Shinnin Games. And a a lot of their previous catalog is specifically referenced in the tourist we won't tell you where play it for yourself but the game that acts as the reference for the the jet dynamite man i can't remember the name of it right now but for the jet dynamite arcade game i looked up a gameplay video and that also happens to be a 3D style platformer set in what appeared to be a tropical setting, at least from the video that I saw. So Really? Yes.
0: Interesting.
1: But yeah, I just <laughs> I saw the WiiWare logo when I did some research into Shining Games. I was like, wow, that's something I haven't thought about in a while.
0: i I mostly know them for you know fast racing you neo know, as you said, nano assault and stuff like that, and yes. nano stray. And then the art of balance games. Yes.
1: Yeah, Shining Games did Art of Balance. Yeah. So that they have a, a really,
0: like, varied catalog. They're a German team. And uh, really, you know, kind of storied history. They've been around since 1999. So, you know, shout out to them. And, and the tourists is just, I would love to see them, you know, in other words, I, I would love to see them sort of take on more of these kind of, like, I, I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just a, a sort of, like, like more, like, high-fidelity you know, kind of game like this, where even though, like we said, you can you can 100% the game in a very short period of time, it does feel like a fairly complete adventure. It does. And I, I would like to see them kind of make, you know, kind of more meaty games in this vein, I think. Because I really love what they're
1: able to do. <laughs> well, uh, again, try not to spoil things, but the ending of the game yes. does seem to go out of its way. To indicate that they fully intend to make another one. Yes, it does. So very, very sequel-baity ending. And honestly, I'm down. I really enjoy The Tourist. If they make another one, I'm I'm down. Now, it probably won't be for a while because The Tourist only came out, what, September of 2019? September last year?
0: Yeah, it hasn't been out for super-duper long. Yeah, that sounds about right.
1: So, uh, it'd still be a little bit of a wait. But uh, if Shinnin Games does announce it, then that'll be another one that we certainly have to talk about here on the show.
0: Oh yeah, I'm there for it.
1: But if you've got a couple dollars lying around, you're looking for a fun little independent platformer to play, definitely, definitely check out Shinnin Games' The Tourist, exclusively on the Nintendo Switch.
0: Absolutely, it's also it's worth noting the game does kind of you know keep a look at it. you, know, maybe throw it on your wish list. The game frequently goes on sale, so. Maybe keep an eye on it. I think it's absolutely worth your time and money. And this is just sort of something that that's kind of important to us to to touch on and kind of like give a little bit of a limelight to some of these indie games every week. Uh, this is something that we want to have as a recurring segment on the show. You know, we're not always going to have the uh, the literal developer here like we had with uh, Mister Greg Labanov last week to uh, supplement our our segment, but we we do want to make sure we touch on some well-deserving indie titles every week on the show.
1: Yeah, I I know you and I both really, really love indie titles. I know for me, a lot of them kind of take me back to, I don't want to say like a simpler time in gaming, but <laughs> no, a lot of them really remind me of a lot of the games that I used to play in my youth on the Nintendo, on the Super Nintendo, the, the pixel art style that a lot of the indie games today have, the... Relatively simple game mechanics that a lot of them have—they really make me feel like I'm playing a lot of those games from my childhood, and—and and also for me, I do really appreciate a game that I don't have to sink 200 hours into. You know, not every game that I buy, I, I want to, you know, spend the next three months of my life trying to perfect. I would love to have a couple games that I can jump in and maybe complete my experience within a day or two and move on. And there's nothing wrong yes. with that. And there's a ton of amazing indie games out there that have those kind of bite-sized at least in in relative terms of game size, those bite-sized experiences that are still really really memorable, really really enjoyable. Like you don't have to have a sweeping epic to to be fun or to stand out. And there's a lot of really really interesting ideas out there that deserve to be spotlighted and Seth and I aim to do that as much as possible with our weekly indie showcase
0: for for our part I know there are a lot of gamers out there that sort of do laser focus on the AAA scene and and I think our mission is to just sort of say hey guys like there's also some really cool stuff going on over here with these kind of smaller games that aren't asking a lot of like time and typically not asking for a lot of money from you and, and are just absolutely worthwhile experiences. And I mean, I've had several years where some of my favorite games of the entire year have been indie titles. Yeah. So
1: yeah, just because a platformer doesn't have a mustachioed plumber doesn't mean it's not worth playing. The tourist is a perfect example of that. Exactly.
0: Mustache notwithstanding.
1: Yeah, the the main character in the in the tourist does have a mustache. It's a pretty rad mustache too. I think uh, in a mustache fight, he would. I think he'd square pretty well to the to the Italian plumber. I don't know. His, the mustache game is pretty strong in the tourist.
0: That is true. Yeah, but these these indie games are just are just worth talking about. And it, it is our mission to bring you a worthwhile one that is worth your worth your attention. Every single week here on the show.
1: And if any of you guys have any amazing indie games that you think we should check out, definitely let us know. You can let us know on Facebook at All In, a Nintendo podcast. On Facebook at All In Podcast on Twitter. Reach out to us and let us know what you guys think.
0: Absolutely do.
1: Now, there's been a lot of Pokemon stuff this week, Seth. I know. No. I know. I know. Stay with me. I can't take anymore. I know. (laughs) But we've promised the people to give them the top five Pokemon of all time. And now we make good on that promise. (laughs)
0: Let's do it. I'm excited. Worth noting. We do not know each other's top five.
1: No, we had a third party. Just make sure that we do not have any overlap.
0: Yes, this was individually confirmed by my wife, (laughs) who is privy to both of our lists and did confirm that there is no overlap between the two. So this will be a completely original set of lists. I'm looking forward to getting into it. Do you want to start?
1: Uh, I'll go ahead and start. We basically got like dueling top fives. It's not a competition, but I'll win, I'm sure. For my number five, it's kind of my WTF pick. It's kind of my wild card pick, my Dark Horse pick, which is why it's at number five. But honestly, I have got to go with the Bug Rock Type Shuffle.
0: Dude, I knew that was going to be on your list. I knew it. (laughs) I, I literally, I, the second you said that, I was like, it's gotta be Shuckle. Yes. <laughs> you and I have had in-depth conversations about why Shuckle is
1: rad. Yes, you and I know, but let me let me enlighten our listeners. Please do. Shuckle, despite seeming like a fairly innocuous little, little bug, does have a couple very interesting qualities about him. First off, oft forgotten, if you give him a berry, he can turn it into berry juice. Yes. But shuckle and i think this is still true to this day correct me if i'm wrong but i think shuckle still has the highest defense and special defense in the game
0: that is absolutely still true
1: which is insane like you look at shuckle and you really wouldn't think that he is
0: just this sort of like worm turtle
1: (laughs) he's just this weird looking little itty bitty little tank
0: Yes. His other stats are sort of pitifully low, but his defense is monstrous.
1: But that's one of the reasons that I really, really love Shuckle, is Shuckle absolutely uh, plays into that strategy over brute force, because so many Pokemon and so many Pokemon trainers just try to overpower, just try to go for those high damage moves and try to see if they can just knock out their opponent before they get knocked out. You can't you can't overpower anybody with Shuckle, but from Generation 2, when Shuckle was first announced, I just uh it's such a troll move. I'm not I really don't play like a trolly kind of game, but my moveset on Shuckle was Toxic, Leech Seed, Sandstorm, and Rest.
0: <laughs> just sheer survivability.
1: Yes. you poison your opponent, you throw leech seed on your opponent, you get them wrapped up in a sandstorm, and then they just start taking all kinds of damage every turn. And you just chill. (laughs) And then you just chill and hang out in your shell and just wait for them to get KO'd. (laughs) And I just, I love that so much. There's something about that that just really speaks to me. Is this little bug just chilling out in its little rock while its opponent just suffers all of this terrible poison leachy, sandstormy madness
0: i love shuckle i'm so happy there was some shuckle representation on this on this segment
1: but <laughs> definitely have some strategy with your pokemon kids don't just go for thunder and blizzard and fire blast but that was my number five seth what is yours
0: my number five it was important to me just in my sort of own imagined role set as I was compiling this list. By the way, worth saying, honestly, with the exception of my number one, who has long been my favorite Pokemon and always probably will be, <laughs> the rest of these, I, I probably could have given you a different list any day of the week. I mean, there are just so many amazing Pokemon. This was actually a pretty tough thing for me to compile. But for my number five pick, I did want to ensure that I... Included an evolution on my list, and so my number five pick is my favorite of the evolutions, Leafeon. Ah, introduced in Gen Four, this is the grass type evolution, of course. And there's just something. A, I'm a sucker for the grass type Pokemon. Uh, I, I always have been. I typically pick grass type starters. Um, I just there, there's something about their designs always tend to speak to me the most. And I I have a little bit of a rooting for the underdog. If you pick grass type, you're sort of playing on hard mode. (laughs) You know, a lot of the time, but uh, that design for Leafeon is just so brilliant. I I just, there's something like elegant, but also kind of dangerous about it. I don't know. I really like Leafeon. And then there's, I think there's something in the, in Leafeon's Pokedex entry that says something to the effect of like, it just, it, it photosynthesize and purifies the air around it. There's a little bit of that going on. I just Leafeon just has such a cool design. It's it's by far my favorite Evolution.
1: (laughs) Number four. Well, you're gonna laugh when I give you my number four. Okay. I knew on any type, any top five Pokemon list, you had to have one that was cute. There had there has to be a cute one on there. But I also wanted to make sure to highlight a Pokemon that had a really interesting and unique. Gimmick, And there's a lot of Pokemon that have really interesting and unique gimmicks. Shedinja has a really interesting gimmick. Yes. Vespa Queen has a really interesting gimmick. There's a lot of Pokemon out there that have very, very interesting quirks and gimmicks. However, there's only one Pokemon whose gimmick allows it to become even better every couple of generations. And that, of course, is Leafeon's original form. Of Eevee from the first generation, its ability to evolve into one of now eight or nine different evolutions. I think
0: eight. Yeah, I
1: think eight. Originally it was three, but even back then, Eevee stood out. Not only was it cool, but it was also incredibly utilitarian. If you caught an Eevee, it could fit whatever role you needed. You about to go to a grass gym? Sure. Make it a Leafeon. You about to go to a fighting gym? Evolve it during the day, turn it into an Espeon. Or you know what? Just catch eight and have all of them. Yes. Which is what I recommend. Yes. Absolutely <laughs> recommend having one of every one. And again, it Eevee continues to get better with every couple of generations. We've had... Leafeon and Glaceon get added in Gen 4. You had Sylveon get added in Gen 6 when they introduced the fairy types. Yes. So Eevee just continues to get better and better. Espeon and Umbreon, people would get mad at me if I didn't say this. Of course, Espeon and Umbreon got added in Generation 2. And it would not surprise me at all if by the time we come to Generation 9, we get a few more different Eevee evolutions. It is the cute, adorable amazingly gimmicked pokemon that just keeps getting better.
0: I'm I'm ready for that dragon evolution. <laughs> I would I would
1: absolutely love to see what draggyon looks like.
0: <laughs> yes. And Eevee just on, you know, on the face of it. I mean, Eevee's just so cute.
1: Oh, well, of course. Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee. There was a reason that Eevee headlined those two dual games. And the Gigantamax EV in Pokemon Sword and Shield is just hilarious.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so is Gigantamax Pikachu, actually. The
1: the fat Pikachu?
0: That's fantastic. Yes. <laughs> well, for my number four, this was something... So this is a Pokemon that I actually... So we all know the sort of story of Cubone. And, you know, sort of the the wearing the skull of its, like, dead mother and it's always like crying and stuff like that. Well, this Pokemon really captured my imagination in Gen 7 Alolan Marowak. Ah, yes. Specifically the Alolan form, where they kind of changed Marowak's design to look like a sort of Hawaiian Fire Dancer and gave it the ghost typing.
1: That's what I was about to say. It's a ghost fire type.
0: Yes, it's a ghost fire type. And what's cool about it is through that flame, it's actually channeling the spirit of said dead mother. Ah! It kind of gives Marowak this really interesting arc where, you know, it kind of... it, It goes from this, like, kind of scared little cubone sad child to sort of growing and accepting the loss of its mother and channeling that into some of its fighting... Literally fighting fire. And... I really love that, and and the, the color scheme of it is really cool with the blue flames and stuff. And I, I just, out of all the Alolan forms, you know that that they introduced with uh, with Gen Seven, Alolan Marowak just really captured my imagination, and I and I love the arc for that for that
1: Pokemon. A lot of good Alolan forms. Marowak was certainly a standout. Oh yeah.
0: So that's my number four.
1: For my number three. You've got to have a legendary, I think. <laughs> You've got to have a legendary. But which one? I was a huge, huge fan of Lucia in Generation 2. Mm. And uh, Solgaleo? Solgaleo? Solgaleo?
0: I, I always say Solgaleo, yeah.
1: Yeah, Solgaleo from Generation 7 was amazing. Yes. And a lot of other good ones, but nothing just instantly spoke to me. The way Zacian from Sword and Shield Mm. spoke to me. From the moment I saw Zacian, I was immediately enamored. Just this mystical blue warrior wolf with this massive enchanted sword in its mouth. Uh, I mean, if you haven't played Sword and Shield, definitely get around to that. Zation is an absolute monster. Team Zamazenta, I see you. I respect you, but Zation's better.
0: <laughs> I do love when I get when I play a max raid battle and I see somebody uh, bringing Zation in, doing that Berserk Blade.
1: God, that's such a great attack. <laughs> like even in his non-powered up form, I guess you would say. Even in his more civilian right. form. It right. just looks so regal and there's just a power that emanates from them. Because you meet, depending on which version you have, Sword or Shield, you meet Zation or Zamazenta at the very beginning of the game. And you basically spend the entire game waiting to be able to to do something with that, for that arc to kind of come full circle. So they immediately throw this legendary in your face and then you spend the next 100 hours waiting to go back to it and you finally do and it's done in an incredibly satisfying way. Uh I think the ending specifically of the 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 core narrative, the core story mode of Pokemon Sword and Shield is the strongest in the Pokemon franchise.
0: I I could certainly agree with that. Yeah. Uh
1: and again, try not to spoil things, but that ending really just helps elevate Zation and Zamazenta for me. Again, there's been some great legendaries, but for me, I'm going with my wonderful blue wolf.
0: There is something about. There's something just so cool about that, like, wolf with the sword in its mouth visual. I think back to there's a boss in Dark, Dark Souls. Dark
1: Souls, yeah. Yeah,
0: Sif, that totally. Like, it just, it it was instantly brought that to mind. That visual is just so cool. (laughs) And yeah, a great legendary Pokemon, for sure. For my number three, and I tried my hardest to stay away from Gen 1. (laughs) As much as I love the first generation of Pokemon, I mean, everybody does, right? But I didn't want to be, you know, I didn't want any okay boomer (laughs) sort of Gen 1-er talk. But, I, I mean, I couldn't stay away. I mean, I, I definitely... The thing that you have to realize with me is it should really be considered a crime the way that Pokemon specifically targeted me in my youth. <laughs> it was just... I, I literally was, like, just at that right age in the, in the late 90s when Pokemon came out. I was just, like, that sort of 9, 10, 11-year-old kid. I was just the target audience for Pokemon when Gen 1 came out. And one of the things that I have always loved, going back to my really, really early childhood, is I have always loved dinosaurs, okay? (laughs) There is a Pokemon in Gen 1 that has that sort of prehistoric dinosaur-like elegance, and I've always been fascinated, I've always been in love with this Pokemon's design, and that Pokemon is Lapras. There's just something about Lapras that is just so kind and gentle. And there's even, like, like little bits of, like, kind of lore and stuff. Like, oh, Lapras, like, helps, like, people who are lost at sea and stuff. Like, riding on the back of a Lapras' shell. And I love the Gigantamax Lapras form with the musical notes. You all know I'm a big music fan and stuff. Oh, yes. and I, I just... And it's, you know, it's it's kind of like you could make the argument that it's a little bit boring, but there there's just that that design is so timeless. I you know, going back to those Gen 1, you know, Ken Sugimori designs. And that just stands out so strongly to me. I mean, think about how difficult it must be to come up with these iconic designs. And to make something that reads like dinosaur, but also reads friendly, but also reads cool and fierce and vicious in battle, I just uh, I just absolutely love it from the, from the very beginning.
1: I will say to Lapras's credit, it's become so synonymous with seafaring that just about any time you see anybody moving across the open ocean in Pokemon anything, in the manga, in the games, TV series, more often than not, they're doing it on the back of a Lapras, if not a boat.
0: Absolutely. And it's just, I don't know. There's just something, there's just something cool about it. There's just something like, sort of like, you know, it kind of taps into that Loch Ness monster sort of, you know, part of your brain that just, I want nothing more in this life than to ride on the back of a Lapras.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, for my number two, you've got to have a starter. Mm. I think any top 5 should have a starter. And there's been some great starters over the years. But there is one Pokemon that regardless of subjectivity, regardless of how much you personally like it, you just have to respect it. For everything that it is, everything that it's done, it just has to be in my opinion in a list of top 5. And I have no qualms about staying away from generation one. My number two is Charizard.
0: There's nothing wrong with that.
1: I mean, it's a dragon. Ironically enough, in everything but type.
0: That's actually true. It's fire flying, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's a fire flying. It is the most (laughs) dragon looking Pokemon in, not a dragon type. But even from the first generation of games, since Charizard was on the cover art of the first generation of game of Pokemon Red. I mean, how cool
0: does he look,
1: right? I mean, that's what sold me on Red, was Charizard's amazing design cover. Blastoise is awesome, don't get me wrong, but when I saw that, that dragon, that flame-tailed dragon on the cover of Pokemon Red, it started in me, uh, I don't want to say obsession, because I don't want to make myself sound crazy. But yes, it's an obsession. I have a Pokeball tattoo on my arm. But I saw Charizard on the front of Pokemon Red. I had to own it. And just throughout the Poke... Just think about everything that Charizard has done since its first appearance in the first games. Just think about everything that it has done. Not to just continue to stay relevant, but continue to stand out. The Pokemon trading card game card, that holographic Charizard, is still like the most legendary ever released
0: you know it's hilarious that you bring this up because literally tonight tonight at the time of this recording i was watching on youtube somebody opening a a uh, he had bought like some vintage sealed first edition starter packs of the Pokemon trading card game, and pulled a holographic Charizard. That's nuts. That card, in perfect condition, rated a 10, is worth $55,000.
1: Because Charizard is that great, and he deserves to be number two. (laughs) I cannot argue with that. But even beyond the card, like for years, he was Ash's most interesting Pokemon in the show. Yes, more interesting than Pikachu. Ash's dynamic with Charizard was far more interesting than his dynamic with Pikachu. Charizard was able to snag a coveted Super Smash Bros. roster slot with the Pokemon trainer in Super Smash Bros. Brawl. And then wound up going into business itself in the fourth game, in Generation 6. Charizard was one of two Pokemon that got two different Mega Evolutions alongside Mewtwo. In Generation 7, despite the fact that You know, you couldn't get them. Charizard was your fast travel, your flying mount. So many characters playing Sun and Moon wound up seeing Charizard, and they did most of their actual Pokemon. And in Generation 8, Charizard is the final boss of the game. Yeah. For the past two-plus decades... He has continued to be at the forefront of the Pokemon franchise in new ways. Continued to stand out.
0: God, Leon's Charizard is a beast.
1: Oh, Leon's Charizard is fantastic. But just as a Pokemon, as a representation of a Pokemon species, Charizard, I salute you. (laughs) I cannot in good conscience leave you off of my top five.
0: With my number two, I do agree with you. There does need to be a starter on your top five, on any respectable top five. And I struggled with this because, again, I love so many of the starters. I mean, the Pokemon franchise has had so many incredible starter Pokemon. And, you know, I looked at it and I looked at the legacy of some of these Pokemon and I looked at... Some of my favorite designs, the ones that I enjoyed using the most, the ones that I've sort of carried with me through the generations, and the ones that sort of stuck with me the most. and again, being a grass type guy, the, the you know I'm, I almost always pick the grass type. This may come as a little bit of a surprise, and again, trying to stay away from Gen one, try as I might, but this was actually the final evolution of the Gen 4 Grass Starter, Turtwig, Torterra. I love Torterra as my number two pick. I think he is Grass-Crowned, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. There's there's always been something fascinating to me in mythology in general about the concept of sort of the world being on the back of a tortoise, right?
1: Yes. A lot of Pokemon are referential to you know, legends and lore and myths. Uh Ninetales probably being one of the most famous examples. But yeah. But yeah, I'm right there with you on that.
0: I, I just love that. I love that that's sort of that sort of interpretation of the mythology and legends, as you say. And Torterra is, is just another example of that. Just the the scale of Torterra and the the literal tree on his back. And the, the it's such a simple design, such a simple concept that just, I think, translates itself so well into Pokemon. I fell in love with it from the outset. I, I'm a big fan of, like, turtles and stuff. And just the, there's a wisdom there. There's that sort of tanky quality mm-hmm. that, that, a, that a turtle sort of character carries. And it was also kind of cool when you look at Turtwig's design, right? And this is a case of a lot of starters. You know sort of looks goofy on the outset. <laughs> I mean, he's sort of just this derpy little sapling turtle and he eventually evolves into this monstrous enormous massive turtle with a entire tree on his back. And like the the two like intimidating like razor sharp spikes on on the side of his head. I just, I love it. And I don't know for, for folks, I don't want to spoil it, but for folks who, uh, if you watch the detective Pikachu movie, you will come away uh, uh, from that movie (laughs) with an appreciation of Torterra.
1: Yeah. Torterra definitely has a very featured spot in that movie.
0: So I just, it just had to be on the list somewhere. Again, when I was thinking of a starter that I wanted to put on my list, I I defaulted to Torterra after after careful deliberation.
1: I will say so, though, though Charizard made my top two. I I gotta say I think as a whole I I think Gen four had the best selection of starters.
0: I I could I think there is a strong argument to be made. I think even honestly like Gen seven and eight also have some great. I mean I don't think Pokemon has ever really missed with the starters.
1: I don't know. What do you guys think? Let us know. Let
0: us know. Yeah, let us know,
1: absolutely. But
0: I can't take it any longer. Let us know your number one.
1: Well, for the number one, there's no bones about it. It is ultimately your favorite Pokemon of all time. The Pokemon that if you could only have one, who would it be? No objectivity, no categories, no nothing. Your top pick seth what's my top pick <laughs>
0: i mean do, do you do you want me to do you want me to just call the shot you know it it's lucario of
1: course it is <laughs> of course it's lucario <laughs> now some of our listeners may think i'm some bandwagon fan of lucario or something like that no much like with zation much like with zation from the moment I first saw Lucario from the moment I first saw my boy. <laughs> we had a kinship. I knew I mean, heck I he's, had found... he's even
0: one of your mains in smash.
1: yes, and that's you know another thing that I'll get to here in just a second, but the first time I saw Lucario, like I told myself like I've just found my partner. Mm. obviously Nintendo knew what they had with Lucario because they imme- almost immediately gave him a starring role in one of their feature films.
0: True, just like yeah. Just we just
1: talked about. They gave him a very coveted Smash Brothers roster slot. They made him basically the protagonist of Pokken Tournament.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: They gave him a mega evolution. Lucario is... Nintendo knew what they had with Lucario. Pokemon knew what they had with Lucario. And I certainly knew it. There's actually... I have a, a commissioned piece of artwork... Of myself as a Pokemon trainer with a Mega Lucario, I'll have to find that out. I'll post that to social media tomorrow. Uh, I'll, yes, <laughs> I'll dig that out. But yes, I think he's amazing. I don't know, he's kind of got like an anime protagonist thing to him. A little bit of little bit of Dragon Ball Z, little mysticism. And listen, I get it. Yes, two of my top three Pokemon are pseudo mystical blue Lupines. I get it. I have a type. I understand that. <laughs> But I just I can't help it. Lucario if I could only ever have one Pokemon it would absolutely be the evolution of Riolu. The fighting steel type. My boy. The aura Pokemon? Lucario. Seth's known me for a while, and I'm sure that was probably the easiest guess that he's ever had to make in his Pretty life. much,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Seth What is your number one? And you can't say Banjo-Kazooie.
0: Ah, crap. Now what am I (laughs) going to (laughs) do? No. uh, Come back with me, won't you, to 1998. Going back to the original American release of Pokemon Red and Blue, September 28th, 1998. You turn on that game, and my favorite Pokemon of all time greets you right from the outset. The Ghost type Gengar will always be my favorite Pokemon of all time. Just kind of like you said with Lucario, there was something about Gengar that just clicked with me. The second I first laid eyes on Gengar, the the design of Gengar is so iconic. Maybe and and maybe this is a little bit of a stretch. I would go as far as to say that Gengar is one of the most iconic designs of any animated anything ever. And what I mean by that is, you could literally just simply have Gengar's eyes and mouth on a wall, a blank wall, and you would immediately know that's Gengar. Like, his shape is almost completely irrelevant. His eyes, his mischievous eyes and smile are that iconic. There, there's just something so striking about that mischievous design. And then, you know, there's the lore behind Gengar. There's the sort of like the, you know, I, I have a thing for ghost types also. The sort of mischievous, like, you know, uh, the Gengar steals your shadow kind of thing. The the evolution, ghastly haunter Gengar having to trade in order for for the Pokemon to evolve and stuff like that. That all feeds into it as well. But it comes back to that design. It's just so simple and so striking and so bold. It really does remind me of like when you think back to like pieces of fine art. I, I mean, ancient pieces of fine art that just depict really simple, striking designs. Gengar, you could imagine like Gengar being depicted on the walls of cave structures. You know what I mean? Like it's that kind of design. <laughs> It's a, he's a spiky purple ball with, with red eyes and a big old smile.
1: (laughs) So I've got to ask you, do you buy into the whole Clefairy, Clefable story?
0: Yeah, I, there's, there's something to be said about that.
1: And explain that for our listeners who may not know what I'm talking
0: about. Yeah, so the, the relation to Gengar and like Clefable, like the, the sort you're you're referring to the theory about like the the possibility of like Gengar being a Clefable shadow that's sort of like gotten like evil sentience.
1: Basically, yeah. Because and that that theory propped up mostly because the silhouettes of the Pokemon are very similar.
0: The the shape is almost identical. Yes. But I I just don't I don't know I there there is something to be said about that because you know fun fact. Before Pikachu sort of became the mascot of Pokemon, Clefairy slash Clefable, I believe that was actually what the Pokemon company thought was going to take off as the series mascot. That, that, there's probably something to that completely irrelevant to me. For me, <laughs> my my love of Gengar just, just comes from just that... There's just something innate about it. Like you said, I just feel a kinship to Gengar. He just sort of has this, like, this not quite evil. I don't look at him and read evil. I look at him and read like, all right, let's go have some fun.
1: You know what I mean? Like the Loki of the Pokemon world.
0: Exactly. He's just playful. He just wants to, he just has this like smirk of just like,
1: he just wants to play with you forever.
0: (laughs) And of course, Gengar has been depicted in some great ways across the movies and the show and stuff like that.
1: Has an amazing mega evolution has a, an amazing Gigantamax form and Pokemon Sword and Shield.
0: Yes. Awesome in Pokemon tournament. Yeah. I just, I can't say enough good things about Gengar. They're just, from day one, man, I, I've always been a Gengar fan. It, there's just something about that, something about that purple boy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. That is Seth and my top five Pokemon of all time. Definitely let us know what yours are on Facebook and Twitter. And speaking of Pokemon, we actually spoke to somebody recently who did something really, really interesting with that game. Of course, I'm talking about the amazing challenge runner GameChamp 3000. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are very happy to introduce to you right now, to all in, famed YouTuber and Twitch streamer, Game Challenge Extraordinaire, Game Tramp 3000.
2: Yay! Yay! Uh, Good morning.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having
1: me. Like I just mentioned, Challenge Run Extraordinaire. For those who might not be super familiar with uh, you or the Challenge Run community, I just kind of let everybody know who you are and what you're about.
2: Okay. So yeah, I run a YouTube channel called GameChamp 3000. And on there, I tend to focus on making edited videos about challenge runs and generally explaining everything that goes into doing a challenge run of a game, usually doing it without like one of the main mechanics, one of the more popular ones, beating Mario without jumping, for example.
1: Yes. The Mario Odyssey, for those listening, uh, definitely check out his YouTube channel. The Mario Odyssey Jumpless Run is absolutely one of the highlights. Oh, yeah.
2: That was basically the video that first started my channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a, a few things that got pseudo-viral before that, but that one like went straight up viral across the internet.
1: <laughs> and we'll definitely come back to that a little bit later. What do you think... And just in terms of challenge runs, there's a lot of different rules and parameters that you could really set Mm. to try to make an, an interesting challenge run. What do you think goes into making an interesting, fun, rewarding challenge run of a video game?
2: I think in general, it helps that the basic premise sounds interesting on the face of it. Like just thinking out of context, beat a Mario game without jumping. It's immediately interesting. It's an interesting question to begin with. So, yeah, basically I try to think, what in the game does the game expect you to do a lot? And do you have any options other than that the the game doesn't necessarily want you to do as much. Mm. Like in Mario Odyssey, beating it without jumping is actually pretty easy because it gives you a a very good extra tool in Cappy. So a lot of the run is just figuring out what can I do with Cappy to simulate jumps.
1: And obviously you've done other challenge runs, a ton of other challenge runs. Beat Kirby's Adventure without eating. (laughs) (laughs) Beat Splatoon 1 and 2 without using the main weapon.
2: There's actually a few different kinds of runs, because you mentioned Kirby's Adventure Without Eating. That wasn't even a challenge, I wouldn't say. That was just, (laughs) it sounds stupid. I wanted to do it because it sounds stupid. (laughs) But then meanwhile, you've got other stuff like uh, the Splatoon without the main gun. That doesn't just sound stupid. That legitimately sounds like it should be impossible.
1: Right. Like beating New Super Mario Bros. 2 without collecting a single coin.
2: I did not think that would be possible. Legitimately, I thought, oh, this is going to be impossible. It's going to be a minimal thing. But then I saw somebody had already done it. (laughs) So I knew it must have been possible. Of course, the entire, like,
0: crux of that game, it is literally a coin-focused game. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) So what attracts you to doing challenge runs and, you know, setting these rules on yourself and trying to tackle these games from this perspective?
2: Uh, Well, one, it can't be understated. It's my job, and I like being alive.
1: (laughs) That seems like a good motivation.
2: Yeah, but two, it's really interesting what happens when you're doing a challenge run. It basically recreates the game as something completely new that the developers didn't design. Like, usually, a video game is designed in the player's favor. The player is supposed to win. No matter how hard the game is, the devs design it with there being a victory condition. In a challenge run, there is not a guarantee of that. Like, for all you know, it may legitimately be impossible. And even if it is possible, you may not even figure out that that's the case. Just by virtue of not finding the one loophole that lets it be possible.
1: Foreshadowing another discussion here in a few minutes. Mm. But speaking of impossible, Seth, I don't know about you, but I I honestly thought when I saw the thumbnail for the Pokemon Zero Damage run. Yes. (laughs) There's no way. There's no way that's possible.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. My thoughts, exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so I'm actually, I'm a new fan, and that was one of the ones that I immediately gravitated towards. So I was like, oh my God. And then watching the video, it is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen, first of all. But, But the, there, so just for a little bit of context for the listeners, there is a glitch that exists inside of this game called the 256 glitch. And essentially, a, an important part of the run is to ensure that you have a Pokemon, you know, because you don't want to get hit, so to ensure that you have a Pokemon with 100% accuracy with their moves. So there is actually an extremely rare case where even with 100% accuracy, you can still miss. And during a live stream of this run, that actually happened to you. Uh, Could you talk us through, like, just sort of how that close call, like, what, like, what was your mental state during that moment?
2: Okay, so to put things into perspective, uh, I forget what day that happened on exactly, but I had already, well, one, even before I started the run, I did, like, two separate playthroughs. One was just a casual playthrough, and the other, I was rushing through it just to check a few things for research. Right, And there was just tons of research done, like literally book research, going online, figuring out everything about how the game works. So I spent like a couple weeks like, that was what I was doing, just researching the game. And then I started streaming it. And basically all my free time was streaming. Uh, Whenever I had time, I was streaming Pokemon for a good like That must have been like day three or four. And on those days, almost the entirety was just killing Metapod in Viridian Forest. (laughs) That was my life for those days. So I finally get out of that. I'm finally done with Viridian Forest. The days of torture are over. <laughs> and I, I'm barely out when I go into Cerulean Gym. I'm All I have to do is do this, and then I'll be able to get swift. Which is like where I'll be able to do 90% of the game once I get swift. And right there, my move misses. 1 in 256 glitch. Oh. The moment that happened, I'm thinking I am going to have to be... Well, one... Either I'm going to go back to Viridian Forest and repeat the last few terrible days of my life. Oh, my God. Or I'm just going to give up. (laughs) That was legitimately an option.
1: We we, we don't want to spoil too much for you, but it (laughs) did happen against, it wasn't just against a normal trainer. It was against uh, a fairly uh, important, or it happened in a very important part of the game, and it, it made it all the more insane when it happened.
2: It is worth noting, common misconception, it was not actually while fighting Misty. It was while fighting the trainer directly before Misty, who is required, uh, uh, but not Misty yourself.
0: Gotcha. That's actually, so that that leads me to a question. Uh, what is this sort of, you, you touched on that just a moment ago about your sort of prep process. What What is that like? I mean, it sounds like you go really in depth in preparation for these challenge runs.
2: Uh, Pokemon in particular was the one where it was just necessary to do that much. It actually kind of depends on the individual run. A lot of them I do prefer to go in blind. Like, for example, way back when I did the Jack and Daxter without collecting precursor orbs. And a a few of the complaints that I got with that was that it felt like it was just a speedrun tutorial. Because that was Mm. already a run that existed. So since then, I've tried to do uh, when it's a run that already exists. I like to try and do as much as I can without research that way with the video, it will be my own experiences that I'm talking about and how I figured it out. And often I will figure out completely new strategies that are less efficient than what the norm is, but are just more interesting because I got to figure them out myself. Right. Uh, But with the Pokemon run, nobody had ever done this before. (laughs) As far as I could tell, nobody had ever even attempted this before. And I knew from the beginning that it was going to be a massive time sink. I could not afford to fail this run because I would be throwing the last couple weeks of my life out the window if I got hit at the Elite Four. So that I put in way more research into. I even cover it in the video, even after all the research I did. I figured out, like, close to the most optimal possible strategy, there's, like, something like a 67% chance of getting through without the 1 in 256 glitch occurring. Which I want to note, we failed that dice roll. The 1 in 256 glitch <laughs> did occur.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it was necessary there. In terms of emotional low, to seeing that attack miss,
2: mm. and seeing the
1: entire run flash in front of your eyes... Mm -hmm. (laughs) to the emotional high of seeing that the attack was tail whip.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, (laughs) God, so many thoughts were going through my mind all at once. The reason I included that clip in the video is because it would explain it far better than anything I said could. (laughs) I've heard people say that it sounds like I was, you know... Uh, You know, just a generic streamer playing it up for the camera. (laughs) I wasn't. That's legitimately how I felt in the
1: moment. (laughs) Uh, Well, definitely check out that video if anybody hasn't already. Like Seth said, it's one of the most incredible things that I've ever seen. Uh, And again, you have not been hearing this wrong. GameChamp 3000 did a zero damage run of... Pokemon Generation 1. It's it's absolutely incredible.
2: Oh, I should probably clarify, since we haven't mentioned it, uh, that it was specifically without uh, save file abuse. If I got hit, I deleted my save file. Uh, that's an important distinction, because a lot of people think that I must have used save states just by seeing the title.
1: I mean, you would assume, because uh, how many hours? Like, could you even ballpark? Like, how many hours did that run wind up being?
2: Oh, I had a figure... But I, I never like kept it written down. The streams are archived, so you could add up all the streams. But
0: I know at one point during the video, I think it even flashes to the sort of trainer card. And I think that's like somewhere around 300 hours just alone.
2: <laughs> yeah, you have to keep in mind, though, that's what the game sped up. Uh, because it's used in Pokemon Stadium. So that timer is not actually accurate.
1: True. Yeah, Game Chat mentions uh, using uh, Pokemon Stadium. There's a very, very interesting little workaround that he uses all official hardware by the way Mm -hmm. Uh, but just to see some of the ways that he exploits the game the the ai the incredibly unnecessarily broken items and other things it's just it's incredible to see all the exploits and different things that you do to 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 kind of help you along not one that you'd recommend to other people though you said
2: definitely no (laughs) it as covered in the video it gave me literal nightmares. I didn't even explain the full extent of the nightmares. I just said the most funny nightmare that I had. Man. But it was actually legitimately a thing. Like almost every night while I was doing that run, I would, I would be dreaming that I was playing the game. Usually I would dream that I took a hit. And if not, I would just be dreaming that I was playing it in general, and it was horrible.
0: <laughs> Ugh, just the sheer anxiety. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can only imagine. <laughs> have you ever actually, have you ever had a dev reach out to you after watching one of your videos?
2: Uh, No, unfortunately. I've been waiting and hoping for it, but not yet.
1: <laughs> well, we can shift gears to something a little less anxiety-inducing. Uh, I did talk, I want to talk, I wanted to come back to Super Mario Odyssey, because recently, within the past month or two, you got to defeat your white whale. Mm-hmm. And, and just to give a little bit of background about this, you were able to successfully finish the game without jumping. However, there was one specific challenge in the game that eluded you. And this one specific challenge locked dozens and dozens of Power Moons behind it. So because you weren't able to get this Power Moon, there were again, literally dozens of other power moons you wouldn't even have access to trying. And again, it was kind of your white whale in Super Mario Odyssey for over mm-hmm. two years. But recently, you were able to overcome that. Yeah, uh, I want to be clear.
2: I was not the one who overcame it. I had basically abandoned the game for those two years. Like, I knew that the uh, inverted pyramid, that was the moon that uh, in question. Like, I knew it had to be possible. And that was the most frustrating thing. Because we just couldn't figure out a way up there. Basically, we just had to get on top of the inverted pyramid that's in the middle of the level. And we could get most of the way up there uh, without jumping. But we could never figure out how to get up, like, the last little ledge. And it was a few months ago, actually. It was somebody on Twitter named Mnyash... Uh, they weren't necessarily looking looking up how to do it for the jumpless run. They were just looking up how to get to the top of the pyramid in general. Because uh, that, that's useful even for speedrunners. And yeah, they incidentally found a method on top of the pyramid uh, without going inside. Which, of course, also theoretically means we can do it without jumping.
1: Wow. So now the total number of jumpless moons in Super Mario Odyssey is now officially 800?
2: Yes, exactly 800. I... you couldn't plan this but legitimately we've tried every single moon in the game like i legitimately would be surprised if there are any new ones unless there's a ridiculously fancy glitch that gets found because we've tried for all of them and the number is just at exactly 800 that's
1: absolutely insane
0: it's funny how the game sort of, in some cases, like I think back to the Mario 3D World uh, challenge run. It's almost like the game kind of knows.
2: <laughs> that is one of that's one of my favorite things about doing these challenge runs because it almost feels like I'm playing a video game that has been designed. Right. It just <laughs> clearly wasn't. It's it's only exact accidentally existing. Like the 3D World one, that's a great example because it's only just barely possible. There are constantly levels that seem to be impossible, but every single one of them is on a split path. So they're optional.
1: (laughs) And just to clarify, the, the challenge run that we're talking about right now is, in addition to a jumpless run of Mario Odyssey, he did a jumpless run of Super Mario 3D World in which he used the... Uh, can I quote you the godlike power of cats? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you don't want to do the entire Mario 3D World run, uh, is there one particular level you might be able to suggest to people there, game champion?
2: <laughs> You're just trying to get a sound, bow- sound bite out of me, uh, fuzzy timeline.
1: Because <laughs> I know you spent a lot of time in your video on that specific level.
2: Mm, yeah, it is the only level... I believe, that required four controllers. Basically everything else could be done with just two controllers, but Fuzzy Time Mine, it's an auto-scrolling level that goes up vertically. So not being able to jump is a huge detriment in a vertical level to begin with, and we have to figure out how to get up it under a time limit because if you don't go fast enough, you just auto-die.
1: And for those listening who might not realize it, when he says using four controllers, he means he's using uh, mm-hmm. four controllers. Yeah, I, I actually had a setup. I
2: was playing with the gamepad was player one. I be, I'm i not sure I might have sw- swapped out which was which specifically for that level, but generally the gamepad was player one. And I had, I think it was just three Wiimotes. I'm not sure if I, had, if I was using a classic controller instead of a Wiimote in there. Yeah, I think three Wiimotes were uh, players two, three, and four. I had to figure out a way to get my five fingers to approach these four
1: controllers
2: (laughs) in some sort of feasible manner where I still had control.
0: That's awesome. It's funny because there are several points in all of your videos where you kind of make the little jab like, oh, because I'm bad at video games. But I mean, this (laughs) this requires actual literal physical dexterity sometimes to, to achieve. (laughs)
2: <laughs> mm. uh, the, the way I see it, the bad at video games thing Whether or not somebody is good or bad at video games Depends on what they're trying to do mm. I'm really bad at the things I try to do <laughs> Therefore I'm bad at video games
1: <laughs> Obviously you've done a ton of stuff with the Mario franchise Do you just feel that, that the Super Mario games Just kind of lend themselves to challenge runs like this specifically? or,
2: mm-hmm. or- Yeah, it's It it is legitimately a thing. Uh, Nintendo's games, uh, most of them tend to, uh, like, they have a... Mario is most famous for it, but they're generally designed to have a very low skill floor and a high skill ceiling. Mm. The low skill floor meaning basically anybody, even with very little game experience, can pick it up. And, you know, do decently well, probably even beat the game. Meanwhile, they give the player tons of tools to work with. Like Mario's moveset in Mario Odyssey, he can do, like, super ridiculously cool advanced techniques. But by the end of the game, it really only needs you to know how to jump and how to throw Cappy, and that's it. So you've got like a million tools uh, in your toolbox, and the game over a- only ever asks you to use the wrench.
1: Well, if anybody's listening to this, I hope we've intrigued some people to maybe try a few challenge runs uh, of their own. But for those people out there who may have never done a challenge run before, is there anything that you'd recommend as kind of a, a step into that community?
2: Yeah, I'm cheating on this one, actually. Because pe- people, they, they've they asked me that, that a lot. Like, wh- what's a challenge run that you would recommend? My legitimate answer is I do not know, only you know that. Mm. When it comes to doing a challenge run, the best ones are the ones that I am personally interested in. I can't tell you what game you love the most or what challenge run would sound the coolest to you. Uh, So generally, I recommend finding a game that you already love, that you've already played a lot, and just think, what is... Something cool I could do in this game. Is there some mechanic I could play without? Or even just, could I do it super cool, like without getting hit? Like almost any game, there's a challenge run already in the game. You just have to think of it. Find a game and then find a challenge run for that game. Don't find a challenge run as your first step.
0: Are there any challenge runs that are kind of, we we talked earlier about sort of like the ones that you thought were impossible or the, the white whales. Are are there any that are seemingly impossible right now that you want to kind of like throw down the gauntlet that that you would love to see somebody
2: crack? Ooh. Oh, Hmm. Uh, let's see. Castlevania without breaking Dracula stuff. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was one that I worked on. I got near to the end of the game. Uh the the rule is I was playing sort of fast and loose with it, uh but basically don't break anything other than the bosses. If if you hit it and it and it gets destroyed and it's not a boss's face, then that's against the rules. That includes enemies. So both the candles and all the enemies throughout the stages just had to run through basically without attacking anything and then survive and kill the boss because you only get like three lives and then it resets all the way back to like the beginning of each set of three stages. I got all the way to death who is the second to last boss next to Dracula. And I could not beat death. If somebody figured out how to do that, I don't even know. (laughs) <laughs> nobody's going to figure out how to do it. That's why somebody needs to do it.
1: <laughs> talk about throwing down the gauntlets. We talk about people jumping in the community for the challenge run community. Is this, you, you find that people really rely on each other. You, they, they talk to each other, they help each other out. They help inspire and influence each other in terms of doing challenge runs.
2: Mm, th- there is a lot, a lot of back and forth. I generally see when, when people, when I see a, a new Someone a YouTuber who's new to the challenge community posting, uh, they they're usually doing like some sort of a spin-off of a prior run. It it does tend to be that run one run will inspire the next. And if, and for the record, I started my channel basically inspired by Pan and Coik's uh A Press challenge in Super Mario 64. Ah. I'm just a Pan and Coic ripoff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, ripoff or not, you have done some of the most Uh, incredible video game runs that I've ever seen in my life. Again, if any of our listeners are interested at all, definitely check out Three 3000's YouTube channel, uh, Mario, Jumpless Run, Splatoon. And you don't just do Nintendo, obviously. You did a Kingdom Hearts level one run. You did Bratchet and Mm -hmm. Clank. You've done so much stuff. And I can't wait to see what what you have uh, in store for us next.
2: Thank you. I can't wait to see what I have in store too.
1: (laughs) All right, we just want to send one last thank you to GameChamp 3000. And I think with that, our interview with GameChamp 3000 is officially mission complete. Now (laughs) Seth and I are going to want to run out of his house like little sissy babies. (laughs) 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 Thank you so much for talking to us. Uh, Good luck in everything. GameChamp on YouTube. Uh, Preemptively, we want to congratulate you on half a million YouTube subscribers. Yeah, Uh, thank you. You can follow him on... Twitter at gamechamp3k. Follow him uh, twitch.tv, gamechamp3k, correct?
2: Uh, Yeah, on Twitch, gamechamp3k, YouTube, gamechamp3000.
1: Definitely go and support everything he does at patreon.com slash gamechamp.
2: Uh, Thank
0: you very much. That was an awesome discussion with Gamechamp. Some great insight there into the world of video game challenge runs. It was awesome to get a chance to uh, to sit down and talk about that and just walk through some of those incredible. I by the way, it, it should be said, we did not expect the 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 episode this week to be so pokemon centric.
1: We really didn't.
0: <laughs> I mean, it just I, sort I, of I happened probably, that folks, way. We're not a
1: pokemon podcast, we're really not.
0: But I mean the you know the the week of news went the way it went and and I mean I can't stand it anymore. We have got to talk about <sighs> deep breath deep breath. We got to talk about this Pokemon presents. We've got to talk about new Pokemon Snap.
1: Oh, is that a thing?
0: That's a that's a little bit of a minor news bit that came <laughs> out
1: this week. Are uh, are you trying to say that after 21 years the legendary Pokemon Snap from the Nintendo 64 getting a much-desired and much-hyped sequel on the Nintendo Switch? Is that what you're saying, Seth?
0: That is exactly what I'm saying. Now, again, I cannot stress enough how how into Pokemon I was when I was a kid. I mean, I still am. It's, it's something that I've carried with me literally my entire life. And I remember, speaking of Pokemon Snap, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, when you think about Pokemon Snap in the grand scheme of things, this goes back 21 years. Yeah. I, ha- I mean, I played the crap out of that game, and I love that game. <laughs> but it's not something that I've really thought about. I mean, when the Wii U came around, I was like, okay, maybe a new Pokemon Snap. The system is kind of perfect for a new
1: Pokemon Snap, right? I mean, yeah, the gamepad certainly lended itself very well to, I mean, the second screen, the gyroscope controls. It was kind of tailor-made at the time at least, for a new Pokemon Snap game. So that would not have surprised me at all.
0: And, and when when the Wii U sort of came and went and no Pokemon Snap, I mean, I probably haven't even thought about Pokemon Snap in that capacity in years, but I got to give all credit to you. When we were sort of speculating just in private about this, the the sort of details of this Pokemon Presents, I was keeping my expectations really low. I was, I was you know, I was like, okay, they're probably going to sort of talk about Isle of Armor. Maybe we'll get a look at Detective Pikachu on Switch. But you called that shot. I got to tip my hat to you. You said, Pokemon Snap. I have a feeling.
1: The Pokemon Presents happened the same day that Sword and Shield came out. Happened this past Wednesday. Yes. And- I just, I thought to myself, I said, people are getting their hands on this expansion today. Right. Because they're just going to say, you know, go play it right now.
0: It's out, go buy it. Right.
1: Yeah. It's not something where they're still trying to market the game for this expansion pass for the Isle of Armor. Like, it's out. Right. I just thought to myself, like, that makes no sense to me. And I just, there was something in me that just thought it's coming. It's happening. This is actually going to be real. And I don't know where this feeling came from. I don't know if I was channeling Mr. Awada, <laughs> but it just, it came to me almost like, not even a premonition, just like a truth. Right. I'm not trying to say I'm psychic. I don't know if I'm just as excited about Seth because I'm the one who has to keep reviving him at the Pokemon. (laughs) But, I mean, I am so, so stoked for this game, even with the one-minute teaser that we got. Even though it says it's under construction, which means that it's probably not going to come out until next year, conservatively speaking. Hopefully it doesn't get pushed to 2022. But I have a lot of hopes for a new Pokemon Snap because. It is a game that people have been wanting, like actually wanting for over two decades now. And I've got to imagine the Pokemon will not disappoint us, but there's a couple things they definitely have to do.
0: Well, I mean, like like, like you were just saying, I mean, over 20 years, 21 years, and just like, I had... Pokemon Snap was so removed from my mind. I was so convinced that it was never going to happen. But then in just this little, like, what, minute, minute and a half teaser trailer, all of a sudden, I'm standing in a Blockbuster printing out stickers at the Pokemon Snap station. Wow. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it took
1: me right back. A lot of our younger listeners right now are just thinking... What? What what's he talking about what's a blockbuster what's,
0: yeah what's a blockbuster
1: <laughs> printing
0: yes yeah, so, pictures what do you t- yeah so you would literally for for <laughs> just for those who don't know so okay i guess i got to back up even further blockbuster was a video rental store yes <laughs> netflix was not always around <laughs> You used to go to Blockbuster and pick out VHS tapes, and that's a whole other can of worms. You might not even know what that is.
1: The more you say, the more gray hairs are propping up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but they had a promotion, actually quite a a huge promotion with Blockbuster, where almost every Blockbuster had a Pokemon Snap station inside of their store where you could go in, literally plug in your cartridge, and access the pictures that you had taken in the game and print off stickers of the pictures. I think it was a, a sheet of, I think 16 stickers that you could, that you could have. And I, it costs like $3. They, they give you a little card that your parents had to pay for. And they're like, really $3 for a sheet of stickers,
1: <laughs>
0: but they did it. <laughs> and I tell you, man, that that teaser just brought me right back to all that. And I just it, it kind of made me realize how important Pokemon Snap actually is to me. But anyway, I, I you know enough enough gray hairs have cropped up into my beard just talking for the past two minutes. Let's. Let, I, I think you're right. We need to talk about some of the things that this game has to do.
1: Now, I think the elephant in the room in the age of social media, the photos are going to be. Accessible and shareable. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's going to happen. That's not even an if at this point. That's no. going to happen. And I can just feel my social media feeds being clogged with <laughs> Nintendo Switch share photos from Pokemon Snap. I'm not saying I'm against that, but I'm just saying that I can absolutely feel, I can feel in the future from here the thousands of Pokemon shared photos from new Pokemon Snap. I assume it'll have functionality with Facebook, probably with Twitter, maybe directly to Instagram. I don't know, but there will have direct functionality with a couple social media services. They may ultimately leave it up to the Nintendo Switch share photo from the gallery on the Switch menu.
0: I was thinking that too, yeah.
1: We'll see if they do that. But at the very least, you will absolutely be able to share your millions of photos to your different social media uh, platforms.
0: Uh, And I mean, photo mode, not even just in, you know, in in pretty much every game now, there is some sort of photo mode and it seems like new Pokemon Snap is just, is just prime to have, to, to be set sort of for all these robust photo editing features and filters and framing and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, even the tourist that we talked about earlier, even that has a photo mm-hmm. mode in it. Absolutely. But yeah, that was something, honestly, I didn't even think about. But frames and the filters and the different editing options. Oh, yeah. I'm sure people are going to go absolutely nuts with those. Again, this isn't confirmed. The The Pokemon photo sharing to social media is not confirmed. But I mean it's going to happen.
0: You know, and this is gonna be a this is gonna be a little bit of a pull. But another thing that I think absolutely needs to happen with new Pokemon Snap is it needs to support the Labo VR camera.
1: I could definitely see that.
0: Yeah, that I mean it may be a cardboard camera.
1: <laughs>
0: but it's there's there's something cool and tactile about moving in that the, the the lens and the framing and it just, it, it just, it's screaming for it.
1: I could definitely see that. If that has Labo VR support. Yes. I might actually have to bust that out of my closet. Yes. Another thing that I think the game absolutely has to do. And I'm not talking about new mechanics. I'm talking about staying true to the original. And from the little bit we've seen, It really looks like the game is going to do that. With this new age technology, it would have been so easy to try to make a new Pokemon Snap game that was much more open world, that encouraged a lot more exploration. But it looks like they are going back to the on-rails shooter style of the original game, which I think is a good thing.
0: I'm so glad to hear you say that because I completely agree. It's funny because when the trailer actually started, I was actually, you know, I'm I'm seeing a lot of people online who actually are disappointed that it's not more open. But contrary to that, I was actually worried when the trailer first started that it wasn't going to be on a track. Until we get that shot of the track laid out in front of you, I kind of gave a sigh of relief because, yeah, there's so many advantages, I think, to having that, that kind of like on rail structure
1: and uh, yes we understand the the argument against it yes it doesn't give you as much freedom yes if you miss an opportunity you'll have to go back and replay the level but pokemon snap despite being a photo game was essentially a kid-friendly on rail shooter yeah and that is absolutely what new pokemon snap should be and i'm glad to see that they're going back to exactly what the identity of the game is. That it's not just, you know, a photo game. That it's, I mean, because there's stuff you can do in the game. You can create scenarios. You can create situations by using thrown apples and thrown Pokeballs. And that's a big part of the gameplay as well. It's not just turning your camera and hitting the shutter button. It's, you know, creating these different situations to also, I mean, to get the best photos, but I mean, the gameplay does go much deeper and having an on rails like that, I think makes those other elements stronger, if that makes any sense.
0: Oh yeah, totally. And it, I mean, it creates this sort of thing where you're going through these set levels on a set track, Yep. but your your perspective being forced like that means that, A, the game is infinitely replayable because there's going to be things that you miss when you're trying to catch this particular Pokemon or you're trying to set up this scenario. I mean, there are, in the original game even, there are several things where you have to have pretty precise timing to make these things happen correctly. Yes. Scenarios like like throwing apples to lead a charmeleon near a pool of lava, you know, um, yep. getting, getting the slow poke to like dip its tail into the water to get bit by a cloister. Um, I, I mean like th- things like that, that really evolve the gameplay and, and create these incredible little scenarios. This is even back. This is on the N64. And by the way, now that we're on the switch, it can't be stressed enough. This is twenty-one. This is a 21-year gap in generations of Pokemon that are now going to be represented in this game. This is not just going to be the Gen 1 Pokemon that were in the original game. This is going to cover the entire breadth of Pokemon that we have seen since this, the first game's release.
1: Yeah, they even confirmed Generation 8 Pokemon, Sword and Shield Pokemon, will appear. There was... I mean, Score Bunny was right there, front and center. Absolutely. Super happy they're going to be on a track. I love the on-rail shooter, but something they need to add to new Pokemon Snap, I think. They had a little mm. bit of this in the original game, and while I'm happy it's on tracks, I would definitely like to see more branching paths throughout the levels. Yes. Now, we talked about creating situations, creating scenarios, using items to affect what's going on around you. In a couple situations in the original game, you were actually able to affect the path your little photo trolley was going down. Absolutely. And I think they need to expand on that in a big way, potentially even making branching paths to separate other levels.
0: That could be cool. Yeah, well, I mean, and even, like, the fact that we see the track is, like, holographic now. Yes. I-, I think all but confirms that that is going to be a thing.
1: Now, I will say, I don't have too much specific stuff that I think they need to add in terms of adding new gameplay mechanic or new wrinkles, but the game just needs to add more. The biggest... I guess drawback to the original game was ultimately it was a fairly short affair. Right. I really, really hope that this is a full sized retail game when it releases. I hope that this is a meaty game that we can sink our teeth into again, you know, not necessarily for 200 hours, but I would love for there to be a lot to do and more than just six or seven stages to explore. I mean, yes, you can replay those stages a lot to try to, you know, photographically capture more Pokemon. But the Switch has so many capabilities and so much, you know, power, especially compared to the Nintendo 64, that, you know, I I want to see a true big Pokemon Snap adventure. Like, I don't even care if they put a narrative. I really don't. But just, you know, give me a lot to do with my... You made us wait 21 years. Give us a <laughs> right. full, big Pokemon Snap experience.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. We don't know a whole lot, obviously, about this game beyond the little teaser. But I do have... Uh, just, I'm on Nintendo.com right now on the official uh, games page. And there there is a little bit of a, of a morsel here that I think might lend itself to what you're talking about, just the meaty sort of experience. Just to just to briefly read their little blurb here. Photograph lively wild Pokemon in their natural habitats as you research and explore unknown islands. Journey through a variety of environments, such as beaches and jungles, to capture previously unseen Pokemon behaviors. The photos you take can also be used to fill out your very own Pokemon photo decks. So that right there, photodex, kind of gives me a little bit of a sense of the game's objective and the game's sort of, like, g- having a, a rigid goal of a photodex, right? Kind of Kind of doing research data and, you know, having to sort of gather, like, you know, score bunnies in there. We need to fill out the photo decks and find a way to get it to evolve to Cinderace or, or do some sort of behavior that we don't ordinarily see Bunny doing. I think that could be really cool.
1: I could definitely see that. I'm sure there'll be some type of professor character the player character interacts with because sure. there always is, obviously. And even though I talked about not caring about having any type of narrative, I there will be some type of loose narrative. And even though we talk about being glad that it's still an on-rail shooter, it would not surprise me at all if there was some type of hub area that the player character could fully explore uh, in a three D environment, very similarly to how the character in Sword and Shield you could have, so. There's a lot you could open up the gameplay there. I mean, potentially, again, none of this is confirmed, but potentially even interacting with some of the Pokemon that you have. Snapped or captured on camera. So, I mean, again, I'm sure they'll wind up adding a few wrinkles. I'm sure it's not just going to be a bigger new Pokemon app. It's been 21 years. I think they know they need to throw a couple new things at us. My biggest concern about the game is a lot of games, especially around the late 90s, found a really good balance. And a lot of games since the mid and late 90s have struggled to recapture that balance by also trying to evolve. And I just, I worry that they might try too many new things with Pokemon Snap. It might wind up becoming a little unwieldy. It might become a little little, Yeah,
0: a little too big for its britches, yeah. Well, I I think Nintendo is fairly decent at that. So, I I mean, we'll have to see. There's no telling when this game's coming out, so.
1: We do know it is under construction. Maybe that'll be the Pokemon Presents next week. Oh, yeah, by the way, it's finished and it's available now.
0: That would be insane. The world would melt and I would personally have to check myself into the hospital. (laughs) Or, sorry, Pokemon Center.
1: Yes, Pokemon Center. (laughs) Again, conservatively, I think we're not going to see it until next year. Definitely looking forward to more information about it. We can talk about it and speculate until the cows come home.
0: Right. It, you know, and and just, you know, they, they touched on a couple of little like smaller things during the Pokemon Presents, like the, this toothbrushing app with Pokemon Smile and a kind of puzzle game with Pokemon Cafe mix.
1: Yeah, the Pokemon Smile obviously aimed at, at toddlers, at young kids. Yeah. Way to introduce them to the world of Pokemon, which I certainly respect. Pokemon Cafe, I'm intrigued by it. I think it reminds me a lot of the Pokemon Troze. Tro- yes. Trozay?
0: Trozay is how I've always pronounced it, yeah.
1: But that little puzzle game from the Nintendo DS, I, I mean, eh. Pokemon spinoffs have been hit or miss. For every Pokemon Snap, you've got something like Pokemon Dash. Right. For every Pokken tournament, you know, you have Pokemon Troze. Right. So, we'll see well, what side Pokemon Cafe leans on. If it winds up being another fantastic, well-received spin-off like Pokemon Snap, cool.
0: Yeah, totally. And I mean, it looks, you know, it looks like it might be a cute little diversion if nothing else.
1: I think diversion um, based on everything we've seen would probably be the best way to put it. But again, yeah, you know. Looks like it's worth putting 5 minutes in to see.
0: Yeah, totally. Just to give it a shot, who knows? Maybe it'll be something great. The big bomb, I think, that they dropped, aside from, of course, New Pokemon Snap itself, is the fact that there's going to be another Pokemon Presents teasing a big project happening in just a few days on the 24th. Oh, man. So to to sort of end the show this week, I think we just sort of need to... I mean, what do we think could they possibly be hinting at here?
1: For me... I think there's three things that it could potentially be. I think that it's going to be Pokin 2, Pokin Tournament 2. Ah. Of the three, I think that's the least likely. Okay. Number 2 and number 1 I think are both very likely or equally likely for the most part. But I would edge out number 2, but I would still love to see a sword and shield style remake of generation four.
0: I think a lot of folks want that. Yeah.
1: A diamond and pearl remake because diamond and pearl is the game or games that's on the slate to be remade right now. We've had multiple remakes of generation one. We've had heart, gold and soul silver for generation two, and we've had omega ruby and alpha fire for generation three. It's now time generation four's remake and i think a sword and shield style remake of diamond and pearl would be lovely i agree i think you are right i think you might be right about what it is because you just kind of threw this out there i didn't necessarily think about should have but i think you are right
0: yeah so for for my money i i think that what, what is probably going to happen, and this is just, you know, sort of when I think about how well Let's Go, and we, we kind of spoke on this earlier, Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee are still among the best-selling games on the Switch. I think that, and, and you know, for for what it's worth, I mean, they were actually really good remakes of Gen 1, albeit with kind of a different, more casual spin on the gameplay. I still thoroughly enjoyed those games. And I think that the next logical step is to do Let's Go Johto, right?
1: I think you're right. I really do. Obviously, Pokemon Go was a massive, massive success for Niantic and Pokemon. And it got a lot of people who previously had never touched the franchise well and good and deep into catching them all. And then Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee on the Nintendo Switch. Adopted some of Pokemon Go's capturing, wrapped it up into a Generation 1 remake, and used that to get a lot of those casual fans that had dove into Pokemon Go into the Pokemon game proper. And just like you said, they sold gangbusters. They sold all the copies.
0: Yeah, I, I think Pikachu and Eevee individually sold like north of 10 million copies a piece.
1: And when a game sells that well, you have, I mean, you've got to follow it up. There's got to be another one. There's got to be a sequel. When a game sells that well, I mean, it's almost like Thanos at all. Like, I am inevitable. <laughs> right.
0: Not for nothing also, just as a quick side note, I did take notice that within the past few days, the Pokeball Plus has gone on sale for $20 at most retailers. Coincidence, maybe.
1: Yeah. Maybe. And for those who don't know, the Pokeball Plus was a really interesting peripheral that Nintendo launched alongside Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee. That was a Pokeball, but also a controller for the game. I think a lot of people found it unwieldy. I really liked it. I thought it was really cool. I thought it was a super,
0: yeah, a super high quality, like it had a nice vinyl feel to it.
1: Yeah, and it was just cool to walk around. You could keep a Pokemon in there, walk around with it, level it up. But again, very high quality and just really good to hold on to.
0: If that's what ends up happening next week, I, I say I'm, I'm on board. I you know for for my money, gold and silver are my favorite Pokemon games. Yes, so I would be very happy to see that. I, I really enjoyed the let's go treatment. I, I'm happy to dive back into that too. And uh, you know, my only request, Nintendo, if you're listening and I'm sure you are, <laughs> please, please let me play. In docked mode with the pro controller in this one. Pretty please? Yeah. That made no sense to me with Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee, so...
1: Well, you make one request, I'll make one request. Okay. If, Nintendo, if you make Let's Go Johto, can we please have a way to make money in the game outside of having to grind the Elite Four over and over and over again?
0: Yeah, and maybe make the hunting for those legendary dogs. Maybe that could be a little more friendly. <laughs>
1: But guys, we have gone on way too long this week. Yeah, this this was a this was a bit
0: of a meaty boy, a big boy this week.
1: <laughs> Lots to talk about though. It doesn't surprise me with what used to be week. But we should have a lot more to talk about next week and we'll definitely get to that. Until then, I have been super street Eric 2 Turbo.
0: I have been Seth, the pride of Postwick.
1: And we'll see you guys next week when we go all, all in. in.